This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Line up, you fucking nerds. Who wants a shot at the champ? Whoa. What's up, folks? My Take Radio, episode 107 for Thursday, September 15th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was a sample of the Vegans intro music on the Scott Pilgrim uh, motion picture score. You can get the Scott Pilgrim score on Amazon.com or your local retailer or iTunes. The call-in number is 347 324 3541. Again, that call in number is 347 324 3541. All right, a lot of stuff to discuss before our guest comes in at 1130. So I want to just try and hit a lot of the housekeeping first. First off, I want to announce that we have a new writer coming on board starting in October. His name is Ben Anderson. You can probably find him in our forums as Blackout. Make sure to, if you are in our forums, just to say hello and introduce yourselves. Ben is going to be helping us out with content, mo- most likely for our MMA section, but he may branch into some other into some other subjects as well. So just give Ben a warm welcome. He probably won't be the only writer joining us. We are still looking for other writers. I really would like somebody whose strength is in comics, and maybe somebody else who who's um more on the wrestling side of things only because i can only hit so many promotions so i know that there's a couple of other guys out there or girls for that matter that watch a couple of promotions that definitely escape my radar you know wwe tna ring of honor chikara the indies i try to keep my finger on as much of it as possible but there's only so much stuff that you can monitor in a day so we are still looking for writers. If you are interested and would like to write for MTR, drop me an email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Tell me a little bit about yourself, attach a writing sample, and we'll take it from there. Any writers that come on board are going to get a 30-day probationary period. Uh, just a bit of a feeling out process. It allows the writers to figure out if they're a good fit for us and vice versa if we're a good fit for them. So with that said, if you are interested, drop me a line via email. Again, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. We are trying something new this week. I'm actually simulcasting the show with Mixler, which is a new service which allows you to listen to the sh- to actually live stream the show. In addition to it playing on Blog Talk Radio right now, you can actually hit up mixler.com m-i-x-l-r.com slash my take radio slash live and you can listen to mtr live that way as well with mixler now you can there's really and i'm not even saying it to admonish anybody there's no excuse for you to miss my take radio between mixler stitcher both apps 
Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, I think we pretty much have it covered where we're reaching multiple members of the audience. I um, got an email from a listener that started listening on Stitcher earlier this week. His name was Dan. He didn't tell me what state he was from or where or even if he was in the U.S., but he said, hey, Rich, I started catching the show on Stitcher. You have a really unique show. I haven't watched wrestling in over five years, but I have been watching MMA, and I'm an avid game player. Right now, I started playing Dead Island, which is pretty kick-ass, and occasionally I jump into some fighting games. I've been enjoying what you guys have been doing so far. Where can I get older MTR episodes? So with that, let me just get that out of the way. He can go... You can go and get MTR episodes, like I said, via Blog Talk Radio. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash mytakeradio. You can also go through our iTunes feed. And also, you can even go to the Listen tab on mytakeradio.com and listen there. There's a player that has old episodes all the way back to number one. Um, funny thing about that, though, somebody mentioned to me also this week about the episodes I had done during the 2006 run. I have been contemplating putting them out there. I'm really not sure if it's going to be something that I'm going to include, maybe exclusively for the app, only because we're using so much storage space on the app already with uh, Beyond and Behind the Mic. But maybe we'll increase the storage space and throw it on maybe as a bonus or as some B-sides, or maybe I'll put a DVD together or a flash drive and give it out to the listeners or sell it or do some shit. But if you guys are interested, I do have some of that 2006 audio, which isn't super great, but it does the job. So we are officially on all those carriers, including Mixler. I am looking possibly at moving away from Blog Talk Radio. I was going to wait another week or two before sharing that with you guys, but I'm looking at other alternatives that may be more... Not conducive to what we want to do, but just without so many stringent requirements. In, in other words, if we're doing a three-hour show now and we go over, it, it'll be available on the archives. But sometimes you just want to go over on the live portion because of a guest or whatever. So that's something we are working on. MTR will be at Comic-Con October uh, 14th. Actually... 14th through the, no, 13th through the 16th, so if you are going to Comic-Con, definitely look us up. We'll probably have some MTR shirts on or something with our logo, since I'm working on trying to get that too, because it doesn't make any sense being at an event, telling people to say what's up to us, and them not knowing who the fuck we are, so that's going to be something we'll be doing as well. Um, for the guys in the chat that are asking about less bugs, definitely there will be less bugs if I go towards something that's not blog talk radio related. Now, the only cool thing about blog talk radio, which I like, is the switchboard and being able to take calls on the air. In switching over, there there's going to be some stuff I got to do with Skype, and maybe I got to find the switchboard program, blah, blah, blah. Too much detail, but we will be at Comic-Con. We may or may not be at next week's Gears of War 3 launch. Not 100% sure about that. But our partners at Unveil are working on trying to schedule something. So if we are there, you will hear about it Monday night slash Tuesday morning. Speaking of which, Unveil, our content partners at MMA Valor are doing a lot of great things. Josh from MMA Valor is relaunching his MMA Pulse podcast. 
via Blog Talk Radio, so be on the lookout for that. Hopefully he'll give me a commercial, and we can throw it on as well. And while I'm on the subject of commercials, we are offering ad space on My Take Radio's live broadcasts. We have four, usually four or five commercial breaks, depending on the show. So if you'd like to buy a 30-second spot for your site, product, or whatever, uh, you can fill out the form on MyTakeRadio.com or send me an email, and we can discuss the details also. Now, with regards to to segments, we are offering revenue, well, advertising for segments for generics. So if you have a site that wants to sponsor a, pat- a particular segment, you can also do that as well. Drop me an email, and we can iron out those details. Lastly, get glue. If you're using it, check into the show. It seems they've managed to fix us being listed as watch as as a show that you watch cuz I checked in on Get Glue and it said that you are listening to My Take Radio. So, hopefully that's the start of one of the many things that they're going to be fixing with the MTR account on Get Glue. So, the only thing that's left is stickers which are still being worked on, t-shirts. Um I think we got the designs cleaned up just a, a regular MTR radio design and the MTR tribal logo so those shirts may go back up and I'm working on getting some other designs set up for you guys and that should go live hopefully within the next couple of weeks been a couple of snags certain artists have fallen off the radar certain artists are on the radar but that's a that's a story for another day my guest this week is going to be Dr. David Rice he actually is a psychiatrist that specializes in a ton of things he does he's been a practicing psychiatrist for over 25 years dealing in adult and adolescent psychiatric care the man has over 10,000 psychiatric evaluations and he's also done lectures and published various articles uh, from standard medical articles all the way to what we're going to be discussing today the psychological reaction of fans to heels, baby faces, and heel turns. It's the psychology of the wrestler and the psychology of the fan. One reason why I was really looking forward to this is because there's so much that goes into the wrestling personas that you see on television. The easy answer is telling everybody, oh yeah, this is how I normally am, turned up to, you know, turned up to 11. But there has to be a deeper, more psychological side to choosing that persona how you want to react how you interact with the fans so dr rice will be joining us at around 11:30 to kind of give us an inside look about that he did a really great seminar at the cauliflower alley event in april with regards to that he wrote a a great piece which he sent me going into the the different levels on a psychological scale that go into the personas but also into the fans so i really want to get into that as well um for some of you guys it may be a little deep maybe a little different than than the normal stuff but wrestling to me yeah it's something i enjoy watching but there's so much more to it from a physical level from a physical level a theatrical level and a psychological level with with all these situations of wrestlers killing themselves and some of the demons that they have to battle i'm really interested in seeing the psychological side of it and one wrestler that i want to ask him about is a is a guy like jake the snake who's gone on record as saying that he's had to change his his persona 
given some of the personal issues that he was going through. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that. And like I said, he'll be joining us at 1130. New articles this week. Slick has the newest recap of Thundercats. I put up an article about 10 games that I'd like to see, 10 fighting games that I'd like to see get the refresh treatment. And I also put up uh, 10 characters who I'd like to see in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, or that should have been in that game. The funny thing was that, for some reason, that article gained a lot of traffic today, and we actually broke our traffic record on the site. I believe we're nearly approaching 400 views. 300 and some, I think 325 are just from that article. So, for those of you that have read it, take a moment, share a comment, whether on our fan page or directly in the article, it would mean a lot. Let's us know that you like what we're doing. Same rules apply to if you're getting the show on iTunes, take a few minutes, rate the show. Again, it means a lot. And um, that's going to wrap up the housekeeping. Now, I'm going to just go through a couple of things that we're going to talk about because I don't know how long the interview is going to run, but we are going to talk about Strike Force. We have some video game news. Some We have one or two bits of What the Fuck movie news, which I know some of you guys are really looking forward to. I want to talk about the Matt Hardy situation. Yes, there's another Matt Hardy situation, so don't adjust your dial. And, of course, our interview with Dr. Rice. Now, with regards to this week's opening monologue, it's something that I've been reading a lot about, which I just feel is really a non-factor. And that's what's going on with a show that I really don't watch, but that for some reason has become such a huge situation because of some of the casting that's being done. And that show is Dancing with the Stars. I don't watch Dancing with the Stars. I could really give two shits about it. But it seems to be the the outlet for middle-aged housewives and countless other people that that want that watch the show non-stop i have no issue with it but the big thing this year is that they are putting chaz bono on chaz bono was the daughter of sonny bono and Cher, who is now a man obviously she was a girl before now she's a guy and there really seems to be this huge huge issue Right, right along the lines that there was a guy, Dr. Keith Ablo, that said that children who watch this show could develop gender identity disorders from watching Bono, well, Chastity Bono. According to, um, they're saying that if you watch this, if young children watch this, they're going to experience gender identity disorder. I have a couple of issues with that. Number one. Last time I checked, I don't see tons of young children jumping out of their seats to watch Dancing with the Stars. Number two, Chaz Bono looks like a guy. I'd actually confuse it with John Goodman if I looked at the damn screen. There's really no way for you to legitimately tell that she, that he is a she. It's it's incredibly difficult, and I'm sure she's not going to wear things that will lead people to believe that she is still a woman she's gonna dress and act like a man so what disturbs me is that it's obviously her being on this show is is a is a is a giant issue which is stupid she went she got the little procedure done i don't know if you know they gave her a banana or not who knows but whatever the case may be 
he is, as far as I know, a he. And I don't really think that children are going to sit there and ask their parents questions about it unless their parents sit there and talk about it openly. And even if you do, it's a matter of, like I've always said, you sit down and you talk with your children. You don't expect the TV, the video game, any other form of mindless entertainment to raise your children. It's that simple. If your kid asks a question... Hey, why does she? Why does he look like a girl? You know, well, little Jimmy, he was a girl, but he didn't want to be a girl anymore, and he wanted to be a boy. Of course, obviously, you're going to get why. And then you say, you know, some people don't want to be what they are. And, and you, you explain it to your kids as best as you can. That's part of being a parent. That's part of the process. If you're going to sit there and really bitch about something like this... You're an asshole. And the funny thing about it was that uh, John Oldman, he's the president of the American Psychiatric Association, disputed the claims that Chaz Bono's gender would confuse children. According to Dr. Oldman, he said, there is no evidence that viewing a television game show with a transgender contestant would induce gender identity disorder in young people. So you got one doctor that says it can happen, and then you got another doctor that says... That it can't. It's it's insane, and again, it just shows how we as a society have become so pussy whipped, and that's really the the only term that applies, pussy whipped, because everything is an issue. Don't eat this. Don't watch this. Don't do this. Don't play outside. Don't get dirty. We like I've said, the terrorists aren't gonna come over here and blow shit up. They're just going to they're just going to offend us to death. It's 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 really sad that that's what our television viewing has become. Reality shows and mindless shit and people passing judgment on the most inane things. And I really wanted to touch on it because I felt that it's been so much of a non-issue these these last few days that I just wanted to acknowledge that it's complete horseshit and stupidity on the part of the media and on the part of anybody who's making this a bigger deal than it is. So with that, that's going to wrap up the monologue. We got to talk some MMA, and I really want to talk some Strike Force. So let's get right into it. I want to open up the MMA segment with the Strike Force event that happened this past Saturday. Uh, the main event from the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix was Josh Barnett versus uh, Sergey Haritanov. Let me tell you that this event from start to finish was fantastic. And it's very disheartening that it wasn't promoted on the same level as a, as a big UFC event. You had some really great fighters going in there, and King Mo acknowledged this. He he spoke out about it on Twitter. Dana White, of course, challenged that theory, but I will be 100% frank with you guys that I feel that the ball was dropped with marketing this event. There were so many things that went into this event that you would have expected 
them to really promote it hardcore. And that wasn't the case. I mean, Nick Diaz definitely took away from from that event just because of the whole Nick Diaz situation and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't take away from the fact that you had some of the best heavyweights going at it to acknowledge who was the superior heavyweight for Strike Force. It's clearly becoming a case where the UFC is slowly plucking all these fighters from Strike Force and shoving them into the UFC roster. It doesn't it doesn't paint a pretty picture for Strike Force especially when we continue to discuss the fact that it was supposed to be business as usual, which it clearly is not. So, you know, the, here's a here's a couple of things that I want to go into that I'm not going to go through every fight, but I want to just acknowledge the main card only because there was a lot of crazy, there was some fantastic fights on there. And the only undercard fight, and uh, I'm contradicting myself, the, the Jordan Mean fight with Evangelista Cyborg Santos was insane. It was violent. And and the finish to the fight was probably one of the, one of the most one of the most dangerous displays of elbows that I've seen in a long time. Uh, Jordan Main came in there, and he was holding his own. Cyborg looked really good in the first two rounds, but in that third round, he turned it up. Main came in, and he ended up uh, getting caught with a hard kick in the opening uh, part of the round, and then Main came and started hitting him with some combos, and then he just hit him with some elbows that were just vicious driving Cyborg into the fence. Cyborg covered up, and Main just went fucking gorilla ape shit and just kept putting the, the beating to him, at which point the ref stopped the stopped the fight, and Cyborg Santos loses, Jordan Main wins in, an, in a fucking badass display. Badass. Now, on the main of, you know, on the Strike Force card, I want to get into Mike Kyle, Marcos Rogerio uh, de Lima, Solid performance by Kyle, as always. Kyle is always a game opponent. He came in, he looked really crisp in each round, showed um, that the loss front to Bigfoot Silva didn't hurt him in the least. He came in there looking great, handled his business, ended up taking the fight via unanimous decision. Now, on the Showtime, on the Showtime card, Maximo Blanco and Pat Healy opened it up, and I, was, I had a lot of hope for Maximo Blanco. There was a lot of... of fanfare and hype going in it was crazy it was crazy the hype that this kid was getting on twitter and a couple of people i talked to like yeah man maximo blanco's no joke but pat healy was ready to to handle business and they had a really great exchange at the opening uh blanco caught healy with a kick that that i i thought was going to take him out but it didn't um blanco at one point ended up getting getting some work in under half guard but Healy continued after the doctor stopped it later on in the round, and Blanco loses a point. But Blanco was really aggressive, but Healy caught a kick, slammed Blanco to the mat, and they ended up going into round two with Healy in the dominant position. In the second round, Blanco realized that he had to start respecting Pat Healy's strikes, and um, Healy takes Blanco to the ground, and applies a rear naked choke and chokes him out. So Pat Healy via submission in the second round. Going into the light heavyweights, Hodger Gracie versus King Mo. 
I was very excited for this fight because you had that jiu-jitsu pedigree of Hodger Gracie versus the wrestling and dynamite hands of King Mo. And that dynamite was on full display with King Mo catching Hodger Gracie via KO in the first round. Now, Hodger Gracie's gone on record as saying that he actually got caught by an inadvertent headbutt from King Mo, which led to Mo then slipping in the knockout blow. But a win's a win, and King Mo got it. I was really impressed with King Mo. Not not that he's ever not that he's never ever been impressive. He always has been. But considering how it went in, Hodger Gracie was undefeated. King Mo was coming off a um, a win and then a loss. It was it was insane. And I was pulling for King Mo only because the he has a, such a tremendous upside with regards to entertainment value. King Mo is a guy that can go out there. He can talk shit with the best of them. He makes MMA fun to watch which is going to lead me to something that Triple H had talked about in the wrestling segment regarding the UFC and MMA in general. But King Mo is great for the sport. He's fun to watch. Hodger Gracie came in with you know, the Gracie, the Gracie heritage behind him, an undefeated record, but couldn't stop it. Could not stop it. On the middleweight side of things, we had the middleweight belt on the line with Jacare versus Luke Rockhold. Fantastic fight. I really want to say this was fight of the night. Rockhold, Jacare looked really good in the first round, but Rockhold in second, third, and fourth just turned it up. Jacare came back, though, in the fifth, and I thought he may have stolen the fight, but the judges were on top of their game this time and gave the fight to Rockhold. Jacare, I'm sure, will get a rematch because it was such an exciting fight, but Rockhold looked good. The belt comes back to the U.S., and we move on. On the heavyweight side of things, Daniel Cormier stepping in for Alistair Overeem, fought Antonio Bigfoot Silva. I've become such a huge fan of Cormier because he's really gotten his striking so crisp and so beautiful that he that it's just a it's a pleasure to watch him fight. He came in there, he had a fantastic game plan to stand with Silva. He knew that Silva had definitely a weak, not a weak chin, but a suspect chin, and he capitalized on it. He tagged him a couple of times, and he finally KO'd the giant. Um, round one, it was ridiculous. It, it was such a beautiful display of striking from Cormier. It's funny because they're already drawing comparisons between Cormier and, and Fedor, which is silly, but I think they're only looking at it from the the way the body, they're, they're built physically and their KO power, but super pumped that Cormier took the fight, not to take anything away from Bigfoot Silva, but I've always felt that Bigfoot, while he is a talented fighter, there's, there's I really want to say it's 60% size difference and then 40% talent. I think that's a little shitty of me to say, but it really is something that jumps out at me a lot because he uses that size to his advantage. Everybody that fights is is always is most I'd want to say 90% of the time going to be smaller than him, so he uses that to his advantage and he uses that to bully his opponents. Cormier knew that not that he could take him down and he probably would have done well had he gained a top mount position, but Silva does know BJJ as well, so you can't take that away from him. Keeping it standing was a smart move. Cormier moves on to the finals, which leads us to our main event. Josh Barnett and Sergey Haritanov was exactly what you would expect. Um, Haritanov wanted to keep it standing, 
Josh Barnett, catch wrestling at its best, managed to take Caraton off to the ground and proceeded to use that catch wrestling to smother and cover, at which point he rolled him over. Well, uh, Karatanov rolled over and got submitted in uh, in the first round with a head and arm triangle. It was a beautiful display. It's It seems that Barnett is using that as a signature maneuver since he finished uh, the last fight that the same way. We are now treated to Barnett and Cormier in the finals, which is insane only because both guys have a wrestling foundation but Cormier's striking is is we're gonna see if Josh Barnett's chin can take the abuse I'm such a huge fan of Barnett just because much like King Mo he knows how to sell fights he's exciting he cuts real legit promos for his for his fights and I'm not saying they're over the top and silly but he says yeah I'm gonna sit on this throne of skulls after I after I devastate and kill my opponent and you may think of it as it's a little hokey, but um, the funny thing about it is that um, it, it, it sells. It helps make people want to learn more about these fighters just because you see that they're they're such great characters. And that's one thing. Barnett's wrestling, his pro wrestling in Japan has really helped him, and I think it's added a great dimension to his character. And Cormier, he's coming into his own, so I think... Barnett's going to sell this fight strictly on fight hype, and I'm sure it's going to deliver either. Somebody's getting put to sleep or somebody's getting choked out, but I'm really excited for the finals. Cormier did get a broken hand for his troubles. He hopes to be healed. They're saying, I'm hearing six to eight weeks. Some people are saying eight weeks. I'm not 100% sure if that's the case, but that definitely is putting these finals to take place maybe maybe in 2012 i hope that's not the case but it's really looking like that's going to be the name of the game now i have no problem with that because at this point strike force needs that solid main event but who's to say that strike force will even be around to finish the grand prix it's unfortunate to say that but i kind of see that as the direction where they're going to go they're really probably going to harvest as many fighters as they can if they do keep it, maybe they'll keep it for uh, female mixed martial arts and uh, maybe a feeder league. But the future of Strike Force looks kind of bleak. Now, with the great with the great fights that were had, let's talk about the money. The Ohio State Athletic Commission re- actually revealed the payroll earlier this week. Uh, the total payroll was nine hundred and forty-two thousand dollars, and I just want to go through some of the stuff. Josh Barnett, for his fight, earned $150,000. He didn't get a win bonus. Uh, Sergey Karatanov took $100,000. Daniel Cormier took $100,000, which included a $50,000 win bonus. Antonio Silva took $100,000. Luke Rockhold took fifty. dollars That included a $25,000 win bonus. Jacare took home $70,000. King Mo, $85,000. Hodger Gracie, $80,000. Just... I'm surprised King Mo didn't get a bonus for that KO, but I don't know. Maybe he ruffled a couple of feathers. But I've just been informed that my guest is on the line, so I'm just going to step back from MMA real quick, and we'll probably come back to it after the interview. Let me just bring uh, Dr. Rice on. How you doing? Good evening, Dr. Rice. How are you? Okay. Dave, please. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was always, I was unsure. I'm like, do, do I call him by his professional name? Do I just call him Dave? I just wanted to get that out of the way. So thank you for making it easy for me. Sure, Dave is fine. 
All right. Well, first off, I gave the listeners a little bit of a background um, about you, but I'd rather they hear it from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, just briefly, I'm a psychiatrist, practicing psychiatrist for over 25 years. Uh, I'm based in San Diego and uh, always, you know, not a great athlete, but always been involved in sports in one way or another. And uh, most recently, I've been working, you know, with professional wrestling on the psychology of wrestling. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to tell people what to do in the ring, but what I understand is the psychology of the fans and getting over and how to connect with the fans and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. So that's the work I've been doing recently uh, in terms of wrestling. Uh, otherwise, I just have a practice uh, based in California, but also consulting East Coast, Midwest, wherever they want me. Do you feel that in dealing with the wrestling industry and even with just professional athletes in general, the 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 possibility of, of psychological issues is is increased because of the amount of stress they have to deal with just because of their profession, but also because of the expectations that are placed upon them to succeed? Sure. I mean, you, you have competition on a lot of different levels. Uh, you know, you have the competition of the, the game itself, and of course professional wrestling is a little different that way, uh, but still you have the competition for who's going to be on top, you know, who's going to be on the bottom of the card, who's going to make it to the big time, who's going to be in the indies. Uh, so there's always pressure. There's always competition. Uh, you know, I also have a background in harness racing. I still own some horses. So I'm used to that kind of interaction where you're both competing and friends at the same time, uh, which is somewhat different from wrestling from MMA or boxing you know, or even football, I'd say, where... You know, if an opponent gets hurt, yeah, you don't want them badly hurt, but that's part of the game, and you go out as hard as you can. Whereas in wrestling, you're trying to protect the person you're working with at the same time that you're trying to win and put yourself over. So it's a lot of pressure, uh, not to mention the pressures of inju- injuries and you know, protecting yourself, protecting everybody else. Uh, so a lot of pressure and a lot of traveling. Uh, you know, most professional athletes can't stay in one place. So, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult for families, and it has a, a lot of different pressures on a lot of different levels. Do you feel that professional athletes and even wrestlers have, um, I, I guess, that have any cues that you see in, in evaluating them with regards to how their future plays out? Like, there are certain guys that you can just talk to and you can say, yeah, this guy's wanted to be a professional wrestler all his life versus somebody that kind of, at the spur of the moment, decided to do it because you can always kind of see who wants to be there and who took the ball and ran with it and kind of lightning struck them, so to speak. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it's really the, the passion. Uh, I mean, especially something like wrestling where, you know, if you look at it, the vast majority of professional wrestlers aren't making the big time, and even if they do, it's briefly. You really have to have a passion for it. You know, someone could be very talented, uh, but if they don't really love what they're doing, uh, that they're gonna, just going to be off at times. Uh, they have to really be out there and be motivated. And, you know, there are good motivations, and sometimes there are motivations that aren't the most healthy. Uh, but if you don't have a passion for what you're doing in uh, professional sports, you're, you're more at risk for injury, you're more at risk for losing concentration. And even if you have a talent that temporarily puts you on top, uh, you're probably not going to stay there and not going to hold the fans. Well, 
in reading the 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 um the presentation you did at the Cauliflower Alley Club, I really enjoyed what you were discussing with the fans and how they use wrestling as an escape and as an outlet and as a safe release for aggression. Do you feel that certain fans and the the fan interaction can dictate how re- professional wrestlers build their personas because sometimes they get they're given a persona and then they're just it's it's like throwing a kid in a pool and telling them to learn how to swim versus right. the fans affecting that persona's development right uh yeah there, there are two parts of it one is being able to connect with the fan and the other is and, and they go together in order to connect to the fan you really have to be using a part of your own personality at the same time so that no matter what persona you're given, uh, if there isn't a way that you can feel it within yourself, and that's not saying that's your real personality or that's who you are at home, hopefully not, but if you can't reach it within you to understand it on an emotional level, it's not going to connect with the fan. If you do understand it on an emotional level, you're going to connect with the fans emotionally even beyond what the fan realizes consciously. You know, people are going to react with a gut level connection. Uh, so, you know, it, it deals with aggression and particularly in wrestling as opposed to a lot of other sports. It's the, uh, basically you're dealing with the mirror images at the same time that you both like and dislike at the same time. You know, it's your friend, but you're fighting them. You know, one of the big differences in wrestling is that you re- you expect both sides to survive. You know, I mean, MMA, boxing, you know, someone goes down, someone has three or four bad fights, they're out of it. But wrestling, you expect the bad guy to come back next week. You want him to come back next week. So it's a very different type of dynamic, a different type of emotion where it's a, you're really dealing with mixed feelings as opposed to just simply, this is, I'm for this guy, I'm against that guy. It's actually much more complex on a, on a deep level. How do you feel that the the scripting and the storytelling plays into character development? Uh, well, you know, there there are different types of scripts. You know, some of them are just for fun, and some are just silly, and uh, some I can do without. Uh, you know, I think a good script is one that connects. Uh, you know, if you talking to wrestlers, you know, from different generations, you know, they take a lot of pride in working their matches and uh you know some of the younger guys not so much but particularly you go to some of the older guys they really resent being given a script you know sure they know how the match is going to end but they want to play off the fans they want to really develop the story as they go as opposed to just being given a script and that actually works better too if, if you have the talent to do it uh, because sometimes the script just will fall flat and you need to be able to improvise. You know, the best actors improvise, you know, even if it's just tone of voice, even if it's just movements, you know, an actor on the stage. Uh, you know, it's different from a movie where it's done, it's on the screen, and that's it. When you have a live audience and a live actor, if there isn't at least some interaction, if it's just reading a script, you're going to lose something. Yeah, I think that, that, with, that with getting... Uh, lines fed to you as a professional wrestler the fans have become so well versed in it that you can see who's being fed a line and who's actually cutting a promo from the gut which is which is great because the the whole 
the the beauty of professional wrestling is that it's real enough to where you can enjoy it as a sport, but entertaining enough right. to enjoy it as you know just as a viewer. Right, right, and that's why you know if you look at you know of course the big thing right now is Punk and Triple H, you know. One of the ways that I, I think that they're actually both doing a good job, I think Punk's bringing out, you know, some of the best in Triple H and in Cena, is at times you really can't tell what's scripted and what isn't. Correct. You know, maybe, I mean, to some extent, maybe it's all scripted. I don't know how much leeway they're actually given. But I think that's the best part of it is that even as someone who understands the business, to not be sure is really fun to watch. Well, that's what's and made that's the, really you in. Well, that's one thing that I I was going to say has made that angle very successful. I was concerned at points where it was kind of falling flat because they were kind of going back into that whole cookie cutter, you know, who done it angle, but blurring that line between real and scripted has given that storyline such a such a huge jolt, especially going into the pay-per-view you have the the c the coo willing to put his position on the line to defend his personal integrity i mean we've all been challenged in our jobs to a point where sometimes we want to put our own professions on the side and you know punch somebody in the face so right. I, I, that, that level that level of realism that was added to that was well done i'm really glad they went away from the who done it to make that work yeah yeah i, I was afraid also that it might the you know just go into a typical feud, but, you know, they're playing it out well, even, you know, Monday night when they cut the mic at the end, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty clever, because I don't know for sure who cut the mic, my suspicion is that's part of the storyline, you know, I don't think Punk was really saying something they want, didn't want people to hear, because you could still sort of hear it, but I think they're being very clever in that it's a story within a story within a story, and you never really know which level they're on at any given point. And, you know, I mean, this isn't new. You know, the, the best wrestlers have done this for ages. Uh, in fact, you know, just this past April at Cauliflower Alley Club, uh, Roddy Piper received an award. and He, he gave about a 20-minute talk at the banquet. And what was I found amazing, and I think everybody else there did too, is here he is giving a talk basically to industry people. There were some fans, but mostly these are all people in the industry. And he's going in and out of character as he gives the talk. And it was wonderful. No one quite knew where the boundaries were. And he did. You know, he was in complete control. But the audience was just absolutely with him every step of the way and loved it because you really couldn't tell where the boundary was. Yeah, that's one thing Piper's always been good at in his Piper's Pit segments and even in certain angles that he's done. You can you can get that vibe that he's partly serious but you know he's still in character um i right. piper's piper's a guy i i even put flair in that same category of of guys that really know the right touch of emotion to put into sell an angle as it being legit which yeah. leads me to something i was going to ask you and and i really wanted to get your opinion on was wrestlers that you know have passed away that have been dealing with with issues one particular uh, wrestler I wanted to ask you about was Chris Canyon, who had yeah. you know a uh, couple of, of of different disorders going into the game, and you know he fell out of the spotlight for a little bit. And what happened with him? How do you, how do you feel that play would would that have played out differently 
had Chris Canyon been a an active performer, or was that something that, given his pre-existing medical conditions, was you know just a powder keg waiting to explode? Yeah, you know, of course, I, I just don't know him, never knew him personally, and right. never evaluated him, so you know I can't really speak to him as a specific individual. But you have both types. Uh, you know, there is some types who are accidents waiting to happen, and they have the type of personality where they're going to seek trouble until it finds them. And uh, no matter what people do, even if they're successful, they're going to find a way to sort of blow it and eventually implode. Now, I, I don't know him particularly. There are other types who just get lost in it, and, you know, if circumstances go differently, never get in trouble or are able to pull themselves out. But if you have a perfect storm of negative events and affects a certain drugs, whether they're prescribed or not prescribed, things could be a disaster. So, you know, I can't speak specifically for him, but there are definitely some people that you could, you can get, the, you know, I can professionally get a sense, you know, the odds are no matter how successful they are, they're going to blow it. And there are others who are really sort of vulnerable to which way things go. Well, in in speaking with vulnerabilities, I, I'm sure you've probably analyzed this just as a professional, but also as a fan. The 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 Chris Benoit situation. There's yeah. been there's been you know there's there's countless theories from brain damage to sure. you know drug use, steroids. But looking at it as a professional. Would would anybody have been able to see that coming? Because it, the the way it played out was so, not to say out of the blue, but just so, in such a random way that even myself as a fan, I was like, but yeah. but how do you you know how do you flip that switch and commit such a such a terrible crime, especially when you're a guy who you know lived and breathed this family. Right. Now, of course, again, it would be unethical for me to talk about the individual. Right, of course. We'll evaluate him. Uh, but, you know, obviously when you get to something that horrendous, you know, I don't know that anyone really understands it. I mean, I surely don't understand that level of violence ever. Um, but part of the problem, and if, you know, I don't know how much this applies to him or not, is there is an element of brain damage. Um, you know, there's both from drugs that have been used, but also just from the multiple concussions. You know, there are studies recently of football players who never had serious injuries, uh, but were later on found to have significant pathology in their, in their brains. And when they later passed away of natural causes, they, you know, research was done. There's also one, um, actually, ex-WWE, or I forget his, I'm blocking his name, but he's uh, working at, at a brain institute in Massachusetts on head injuries. Right, that's Chris Nowitzki. So, right, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I was uh, emailing him a couple months ago, but I haven't gone to meet him. Um, but you know, if you get, again, it's sort of a perfect storm of enough physiological damage to the brain, and then if you get, let's say, the wrong drugs involved, and it may be prescribed drugs, I'm not saying it even illicit, obviously if you're using, you know, coke or speed or something, that makes it much worse, but if you have a certain degree of pathology on a neurological basis, and then you add in chemistry and you add in stress, uh, you know, people can just get into an altered state, and, you know, I don't know about 
memoir himself what the story was there. Uh, but obviously, it's it's just an altered state where they're in a different world, they're in a different reality. And is it psychotic? Is it uh, organic state? I don't know. But it may be totally out of going with with the person's normal personality. Yeah, I figured. I figured uh, it doesn't take a lot of brain damage to have the added factors really exponentially increase the risk. Ah, I see. I well, the the reason I ask is because there's so many. There, you know, there's so many elements going back to what you were saying with with a perfect storm. I mean, um, one of my sisters, she has autism, and um, yeah. you know, she's uh, 22, but she's gotten evaluated, and she's you know, she's seven mentally. Yeah. But yeah. the the yeah. the trauma that's involved in that, just from a mental standpoint, and just where you can you can flip a switch and your mood can alter so quickly is just something that I really wanted to ask you about because like I said, the, the, the circumstances involving that and the, and the recollections of people, Hey, he was fine and he was good and he lived and breathed this yeah. kid. I, I said, I, I have to ask not, not because you knew sure. him personally, but because I was curious uh, about from a medical standpoint, how you saw that. Right. Well, you know, I also see it clinically, you know, I mean, I, I deal with a wide range of population. My outpatient practice is basically non-psychotic patients who, you know, I don't see a lot of violence or anything like that, but I do inpatient work where I see some very disturbed people. And, you know, the vast majority of people who are even schizophrenic and paranoid are not dangerous. Uh, they're not violent. But if you add a little bit of drugs in and then have them cornered in some social situation that they feel out of control, suddenly all bets are off. And, uh, and whether it's the biology, whether it's the drugs, but everything combines to put them in a state where things happen that never would have happened otherwise. And uh, so, you know, it's a lot of fragility out there. And uh, you never know what, what's going to be the tipping point. Hey, that's, that, that's a good enough explanation for me. One of our... Um... One of our members in the chat, one of our listeners asked, uh, what do you think are the biggest differences psychologically be between a wrestler who wants to do it because they were a fan of the of of it growing up versus a wrestler who does it as a job? Uh, you know, it, as a job, it's a terrible job. <laughs> but the returns are good uh, if you I mean, make it. <laughs> I Basically, if someone's just doing it as a job, they ought to come see me. Because <laughs> 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 to get beat up like that, to to put so much into it for so little chance of success, I mean, you have to love it. You have to have a passion for it. Uh, if you do it just because you're big and you're strong and you think, well, I'll make some money quick, you know, maybe you can do it for a while, but you're probably not going to last. And the fans are going to tell, you know, because you can tell who's in it because they really love being there. You know, you know I go back to... Um, you know, when, when um, HBK did his retirement speech, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of that was a work or not, but, you know, when he said, you know, I'm up here for the audience and that's what makes who I am, you know, that part's probably true. And you can look at a positive side of that. You can look at a negative side of that because, you know, a lot of the people in the industry, you know, they have their problems. They, you know, they have damage from youth or whatever. But if... Being in the ring isn't what makes you thrive. Then just doing it as a job, you're not going to make it for very long. Yeah, because you know there there are certain guys 
especially second, third, even fourth generation wrestlers, that they always feel that their paths have to lead to the ring. And sometimes I've I've wondered, and you know, De Silva in the chat made a great point in bringing it up that some of these guys just have to fill those roles because yeah, that yeah. it's needed, and then there and it becomes a you know quote unquote a job. And then there are guys who right. naturally want to be there. So do you, right. you know, I saw that you had done your presentation with, with Ted DiBiase. You can see that yeah. his sons are all are all in the business. So it, it's just, I was curious to see that, like where that came from. And if it was something where you've spoken to wrestlers where they said, you know, this is a, a, a job. Like I just do this because it's, I'm good at it. You know, most of the people I run into, well, even if they feel that way, they're not going to say it. <laughs> you know, they're not going to admit it. Uh, but most of the people I run into, because I'm dealing with people who want to learn more about it, you know, really are taking it seriously. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are some families where there's just a lot of pressure to go into it. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know Ted's family, but I didn't get that sense at all from him. Um, I mean, we've talked about kids, our own kids and all that, and, you know, I mean, they seem pretty grounded. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there are some families, you know, just like, you know, a lot of other industries where their heart really isn't in it. And that, that's where I go back to my background in harness racing, which also, you know, grew up as a farming, you know, I'll race my horse against yours. And you see that among the drivers, that there are a lot of second, third, now fourth generation and some of them are just in it because it's what they're supposed to do. And they don't last long. You know, the first time that they hit a bump along the road, whether it's an injury or not making it as far as they want to go, you know, they, they really lose heart. Whereas there are others who are born into it and it just becomes their life and they, they love it. Uh, now there's a, another level, which I won't go into detail, but the, you know, there's a, certain aspect of wrestling which is almost a recapitulation of childhood trauma and that can go anywhere from just the normal traumas that we all experience i mean no one had a perfect trauma or situations of abuse uh but there's a aspect to it of trying to work out a, you know as i referred to before these mixed feelings how do you like someone and dislike someone at the same time which, you know, we all have to do, whether it's with parents, whether it's with spouses, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids. And wrestling really brings that to the top, that you have to both, you're both competing, you're fighting, you're actually hurting each other. I mean, you know, they're taking your bumps, but at the same time, you're protecting each other. And, again, that's what I think makes it very complex. And if your mindset isn't into connecting with that, uh, it's going to be very hard to take, all the punishment you get that's that that opens up a a completely different dynamic when when you paint it when you paint the picture like that because it's there, there's that competitive nature there's also that that underlying need for acceptance because that's one thing where where the personas come into play where you, you see guys that naturally want to be a heel and naturally want to be a face that want to be accepted as such yeah yeah, I mean, there's some who want one more with the other. There's some who are fine playing, but you know, you know, making a switch, going for making a turn. Um, some people prefer one side than the other. You know, one of the things I I've done is to help. Uh, I mean, I say guys, but it's women also to develop their persona. And it's interesting because a lot of times people will try to bring out the part of their personality that they most want to show 
when they actually may have more talent in the other direction, but don't feel comfortable with that part of their personality. And, you know, those people I try to encourage you, you know, you don't want to act this way at home. You know, you want to keep your, you know, your role in the ring different from your role in life. But, you know, this is a part of your personality that you really might be able to use. You've had experiences, you know, good or bad, you know, whether it's being on top and being a, a face or whether it's having been humiliated or bullied and, you know, being a heel, getting back. Draw on that. Use that. And, you know, I think even more so for the fan than for the wrestler, it's an outlet for that. You know, I think a lot of the fans who've had, you know, frankly, lousy childhoods, you know, this is a way to try to come to terms with it because they're both loving and hating the same person at the same time, which is just the situation that occurs in dysfunctional families. You love and hate the person at the same time. Of course, even in the healthiest families, there's an element of that. Uh, but for a lot of the fans, that's what hooks them. And it's different than just letting aggression out. It's letting aggression out, but also in a way that recognizes that there are two sides to the coin. Yeah, I... One thing I've noticed is that guys that have profession, you know, fighting backgrounds or rough childhoods, they always seem to to play that more aggressive physical persona. You most times I've noticed it more so as a heel versus yeah. versus the face. The face always wants to be, you know, that chipper guy, that that, that yeah. every that everyday guy who was an athlete and, you know, parlayed it into wrestling. And the funny thing with that is that the real aggressive, well-developed personas are the ones that, and and you know, it's uh, I'm I'm using a broad term, but the ones that come from sure. shitty backgrounds. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're the ones yeah. that are built on on a foundation of just resenting that part of their life, and they apply that pain towards I, that character. It, and you know, I don't have a lot of experience with with boxing or MMA, but I think the ones who are really sadistic head more for this boxing or MMA because there's less control. You know, they can let it out in a fight. You know, they don't have to care about the other person at all. Uh, and that's where I think, like, even the movie The Wrestler is more true to life in that here you have more people who actually have more compassion even though they're enraged. Uh, and it's not just sadistic. Um, I think those people will gravitate towards... The, the the sports where you're really hurting someone, uh, whereas the wrestlers you get, and that's not to say that there aren't some wrestlers who are sadistic and you know plenty of, who are, uh, but for the most part you have people who have to see both sides. You know, I mean, frankly, I've never run into a more polite group of people than when I meet with wrestlers. You know, and I'm talking about you know my horse racing conventions, psychiatric conventions. Yeah, and yeah, there's competition, there's backbiting, but the politest people I meet are at these wrestling conventions and, you know, of the industry, you know, not not where they're showing off for fans. Right. Uh, because they do, so even though, just as you say, the ones who really connect with the aggression, it's coming from somewhere. Yep. But they tend to have a part of them that understands that there's two sides to it. Yeah, they can they can shut off. Which is which is right. something I've seen right. some guys can and some guys can't do. Um, right. One thing I wanted to ask with 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 that, what do you think are are great key elements to building 
successful well let, let's start with this what 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 do you feel are great elements for building a successful face persona uh, well you know th- there are different types of faces uh you know which is something that is pretty subtle you know there's the face who's just the good guy sort of the truth justice in the american way you can go back to sort of bob backland or uh you know you, you even uh, dug in to some extent the guys who are just good guys uh, and then you just have to be able to play the part and come across as sincere. Um, there are the other faces who you know they have it in them that they're willing to cheat at times. They're willing to be nasty at times, but they're doing it for the right reason. And that's more complex char- a more complex character. And in order to pull that off, the person has to be comfortable with understanding that that dual nature, that they're both a good guy, and at the same time, for the right reasons, they're willing to go somewhere where maybe in your personal life you surely should never go, but in the ring we're going to let it out and show. And then there's the other type of face, uh, which is very different, sort of like Randy Orton, where not necessarily a nice guy. Even when the fans love him, it's not because they really want to go out and have a beer with him. It's because, well, he's still a nasty bully, but he's the bully who has my back. Right. And if he's the bully who has my back instead of the bully who's in my face, hey, he's a good guy. And that's a whole different dynamic where you're, you know, sort of forgetting about right or wrong, or is he a nice guy, or is he a good guy, but he, if he's on my side, I don't let him be the one who wor- doesn't worry about ethics, and I'll turn my head and let him do whatever he wants as long as he's doing it to protect me. <laughs> that's a whole different type of face. Now, Orton plays that up well because, you know, the, the Randy Orton who's a face now is really no different from the Orton who was a heel. Nope. <laughs> other than he has the faces back. You know, so he has the fans behind them. Um, if he suddenly changed and became a nice guy, it really would be out of character for who he is in the ring. And I'm not talking about the, the real person, but for his persona. But he's very nicely gone to be a face without changing his character at all, just by slowly changing, you know, who he's supporting. Now, it'll be interesting what they do. You know, now, Seamus seems to be making a, a face turn. You know, here's someone who they brought out as utterly sadistic. Right. You know, and now suddenly he's changing a face. So there's a little bit of inconsistency there. Although if you, you know, my view is that he was never a great heel because there, there was sort of almost a sort of sad you know, aspect yep. to him. There was a, there was a comical nature to his heel, to his heel persona because he got mocked a lot. It's like, you know, yeah. he was, he was the yeah, heel you I make think- fun of. You look at the real sadistic heels, and he just, even, you know, that went early on when he came on, who was it, that it's a really small guy that he um, uh, power slammed onto the floor, I forget his name. Now. I think, um... Uh, geez, that was one of the most sadistic things you could see. But he just didn't carry it off with as much sadism as, you know, let's say Piper could have, <laughs> you know, or Jake could have. Well, you can see that. You can see some guys just aren't. I I really am noticing now, especially since I watch so much wrestling to cover for the show, and I I know a few wrestlers personally. You can almost see who really has that 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 built in makeup to play a heel. Yeah. And Randy Orton's a yeah. a bona fide heel. 
even when it's like if you're a guy and he's a heel, you don't like him because it's like he's the he's the he's the badass you want to be. Right, and right. and if and if you're right. a fan of his heel personas because you can relate to just being the anti-hero, you know, you'll you're you're right. the guy who likes the the Wolverine in the comic books, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Or he's just the enforcer on your team. That's right. He's you the know, where it, you know, you don't even have to like him, uh but you know, he he's the enforcer and he may not have much morals, but as long as he's loyal to me, I'll put up with it. He fits. He fits the moniker of what I like to say: the enemy of my enemy is my friend, because you know exactly. you don't like him, but you want him in your pocket at all times. Right. Real different than let's say what when Big Show turned, you know, from heel to face, and he, you know, suddenly he just showed a softer side, and he's laughing and he's making jokes, and that was like, hey, there's another side to my personality. I'm going to let that come out. That's a, and that can be done well also, and I thought he actually did it pretty well. That wouldn't work for Orton. Orton couldn't do that. He has to stay who he is, but make the turn in a different way. Well, one character that's made a complete, uh, a, a complete turn, which, for some reason, I felt is is great now, but it's a little a little late in the game to book like that. Is Mark Henry? Because Mark Henry's yeah. always been that that kind of jovial big guy, and now it's almost like, yeah, we want to make sure that you guys know that he's. That he's hardcore, that you know he can hurt people. But I just feel that the boat has sailed on that at this point. Like now, you see him doing it, and you're like, "All right," but you're not. You can't be sold on it. Right, right, and, and it's not that, it, and it's not really his fault because nope. you know I, the way I see it, he's doing it well, but he just doesn't have the history that connects with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's that's another thing that I like to talk about is just the having some consistency not only in characters but even in storylines where there should you know I mean for, for the fan for the kid who's out there who's just watching on a simple level yeah it doesn't really matter but for those of us who really enjoy the sport and understand it but still want to enjoy it you know you don't want to be made to feel stupid you don't mind giving up your sense of you know, reality and getting into the fantasy, but you don't want to be made to feel stupid by something that's just totally disjointed. Now, I wouldn't go that far with with Mark Henry, you know, but, uh, but yeah, he doesn't really connect. I, I think the, the opposite was true when they, they tried to make uh, AJ Styles a heel. Yep, and same thing. Doesn't make a good heel. I mean, he, yeah, he looked like, okay, I'm going to play nasty for a while, but like, doesn't really fit, you know, and he didn't have the history to do that. You know, there's some people who can go back and forth uh, very well, but there's some who really don't do it all that well. Well, one... Uh, Billy should stay on one side. Well, one guy who I feel is in that, besides Mark Henry and and bringing up AJ Styles and and helps me segue into TNA, is Sting. As long as I've known Sting, Sting has either played... You know, happy go lucky sting, or you know, I'm gonna pretend to be the crow sting. But now he seems to be harnessing energy from Heath Ledger's Joker persona, which yeah. for for being someone, you know, not not to use that as a negative, but for someone of, of his caliber, that's that's an older wrestler. It almost feels I, like 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 a, like a slap in the face to the fans because it's it's beyond foolish. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't hang together. Um, you know, like one of the others, just going to away from characters to even storylines that lack consistency. And you know, like right now, I mean, I think WWE creative is, is 
at their height with what they're doing with punk and Triple H. And how much is punk's own ideas? Who knows? But, you know, I really have to give them credit. But, like, one of the things that, that just really turned me off was, you know, they had the whole, before um, HBK retired, they had the whole storyline with JBL where he, you know, was broke and JBL had a, you know, had him work for him. But then he defeated JBL and he made all the money and, you know, suddenly he's restored. You know, if you remember that storyline. Yep, I remember that. And then what happened? He disappears for a few months and the next skit is the one where Triple H goes to find him and he's working in a deli. That's right. Well, it's like, Wait a second. Other than ripping off the rest of the movie, he was just, you know, if you have any consistency, he just got his, took JBL for all he was worth. He was set for life. How the hell is he now working in a deli? Oh, yeah. That and it was like so contrived that there was no consistency to it. And it's like, what is this? You know, I can't, I can't get into this. It's, you know, this is just making fun of me as the fan. Yeah, there are a lot of angles that I have always felt are insulting to to the fans' intelligence. I mean, that was that was one of those angles. Um, a lot of angles that it, you know in, in TNA have been uh, very very sketchy to me, just because of the way there's they've been done. The only characters that I feel have consistently worked in in you know in the WWE. And even in TNA has been Hogan. The only problem with Hogan is that heel or face, he's consistently in the spotlight, and it doesn't allow the yeah. other characters on the roster, the other wrestlers, to grow correctly. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, there's some who have some good consistency, and you know, I mean, I like some of the guys in TNA, and I think they have a lot of talent, and some of them are really good. Uh, sometimes the storylines don't go where I go. You know, the same thing WWE. I've seen some good storylines and some bad storylines. Uh, but, you know, it just seems that when you when they try to play too cute, it comes across as too cute. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes don't, don't try as hard. <laughs> you know, to, you know, let the story write itself rather than forcing it. And, uh, you know, that, that's, I mean, I'm willing to, to really give up a, a lot of reality. I mean, we all do. I mean, after all, you know, geez, any show you watch, uh, you know, there are ten things that actually someone should be arrested for assault and battery. Of course. <laughs> I mean, if it was real life, I mean, you can't attack someone outside the ring. So we give up that reality, and we're fine with that. But at least have some consistency so you can get into, you know, like a James Bond movie. You know there are going to be millions of bullets shot at him, and not one's going to hit. You're willing to give them that, but let it have some consistency. Absolutely. Um, what are your thoughts on on masked wrestlers and and their place in the industry, especially because um, a large percentage of them are are nonverbal and have to convey emotion with without even showing their face? How do you how do you feel personas like that have to be built to be successful? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a whole, obviously, a very different style, and uh, in a way, you know, they have to be more subtle. Although, if you really look at it, a lot of wrestling is pantomime. You know, especially if you're watching on TV or even in the arena, you know, all the movements are really exaggerated. You know, when you're talking to someone, you don't wave your hands up and down like people do with a ring. So there's a lot of pantomime, even for non-masked wrestlers, but the masked wrestlers 
really have to be able to convey it with their bodies, with their movements, and actually through the story of the match, uh, more so than someone who's you know can show it on their face or is going to be on the mic. So it, it's more complex, and I think there's definitely a place for it. But you know, you got to be good, and a lot of them are good. Yeah, I've always felt that you know Rey Mysterio's been a guy who's been able to play um, the nonverbal mass persona. And and even now the the promo persona very well. He's one of the few guys that stand out from from a non from a non speaking standpoint. I've always been um, impartial to uh, La Parca from WCW, only because his mannerisms and his actions were what helped him get over. He never yeah. had to say anything. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, you you it, it takes in a way more skill to just. Show it with your body. Show it with with expressions that aren't as obvious. Uh, but it can be very effective. And uh, you know, of course, those who are schooled in it, you know, uh, you know, grow up with it, and uh, you know, they do real well with it. Uh, so, you know, sometimes they'll put a mask on someone, and it's like, what's this for? And it just gets in the way. Uh, but the ones who are really masked wrestlers, you know, are very skilled at what they do, and you know, I have full, a lot of respect for that. I had a I had a conversation with a with with a professional wrestler who 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 I know personally. Um, that being Amazing Red, and we were talking about masked wrestlers, and he 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 gave me uh, a little a, a little piece a, a little tip so to speak where masked wrestlers always get cheered. It's very difficult for a masked wrestler to be a heel, and I wanted to ask you about that because where does that where does that come from where I, I'd say 99% of mass wrestlers always get cheered. That's an interesting point. But, yeah, I mean, you go back to, you know, I mean, probably one of the first that came into, you know, U.S. wrestling was Mel Mascaris back years ago. You know, he was all, always a face. Um, you know, I'm not sure why that is. You know, something I have to give some thought, but, but that's true. And I guess it, it's harder to be a heel... Uh, Maybe it's harder to convey the anger. Um, uh, it's just easy to draw sympathy in some ways. Um, so I have to think about it. That's a really good point. Yeah, because we were talking about it because at one point he was in, he was playing a masked character, and um, yeah. they were they were stating, "Hey, you know, he he's going to be a heel," and he said, "I'm going to go out there, and they're going to cheer," yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they did. Yeah, but the. Yeah. The thing about that is that I have yet to see a masked wrestler be able to pull off a heel. I mean, they're trying to do it now with Sin Cara playing, you know, with one playing a heel and one playing a face. But it's just going to be so difficult to pull off because you automatically, especially for the for the for the young kids that you're catering to, they're automatically going right. to want to cheer right. the character. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost a clownish, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, but there's something that that's more positive about it, um, yeah. And he, I guess you know you just can't put on as vile of an expression as you can with a mask on. You know, you just can't look quite as nasty. I mean, you can have a nasty-looking mask, uh, but you can't have the flow of negative. Uh, you know, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, I figured I figured I'd run that by you and see and and get your yeah. thoughts. Um, the 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 last thing I have wanted to ask you who do you, who do you feel 
right now is one of the best complex personas in wrestling. It doesn't have to be uh, present. It could be in the past. But who do you feel is one of the best, well-done, and consistently complex personas that has worked? Well, I mean, I mean right now, I think, with, without much question, it's punk. Um, you know, e- even the way Monday night, you know, he ended it by, you know, knocking, knocking down Triple H. You never know what to expect from him. And you really can't classify him. Is he heel? Is he face? You know, you know, when, when they, when they tried to do the straight edge society and they had, you know, the fans rooting against him when he's saying anti-drug messages, I think that was way off. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a parent bringing your kid, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to boo the guy for saying don't use drugs. But what he's doing now, I think, is much, you know, you don't know what to expect from him. Um, I think some of the, the other more complex ones, uh, you know, I think Jake was real good. Jake the Snake was real good at oh, that. he's a master. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, there, there were times... You know, you could say, well, yeah, you know, this guy's tough and it scared the crap out of me, but I'd really love to sit down and talk with him. And there are other times where he was just as nasty as you can get, and they were both believable. Um, I, you know, I think he was one who, you know, was extremely complex. And, and he was, you know, even when he cut promos, he would bring in little social issues and, you know, almost like Punk is doing now, but in a different way. Again, you didn't know what to expect from him, and sometimes you didn't know how serious he was, and you know how much he was really going to get into some social issues. Um, so I think he he was one who was extremely complex. You know, unfortunately, you know his demons got to him. Uh, but uh, I thought he's a super talent. I just I've always been concerned with Jake the Snake, not because uh, you know his demons caught up with him, but I've always been concerned only because. It almost feels like he had so much more to give, and he can apply so much more of that um, that creative energy to the new talent. I always feel that he had some. There was a, a factor about him that just seems lost in most new personas. Like I like how you cited Punk because he's always marched to the beat of his own drum in every promotion, much like Jake the Snake right. did. Jake the Snake's character was always multi-dimensional, which worked and in creating ways for fans to relate to him, but I've always felt that... Especially when when he first came, I mean, I go back a while, when he first came to, uh, what was it, Georgia Championship uh, with Paul Ellering and the Road Warriors, uh, you know, I mean, his character, even then, was very complex, and the promos he cut, uh, you know, he always left you guessing. Very methodical. Very methodical, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you had the sense he was, he was smart. You had the sense he knew what he was doing. And, you know, Piper could do that too, but Piper always had an edge of humor to it, which isn't a negative. It's just it wasn't quite as, it was intense, but on the other hand, you were laughing with him and, you know, you knew what he was up to and you could appreciate it. But with Jake, it was like more serious. It was, you know, more, you know, something's really gone on with this guy, and there was. But you really sensed where 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 the conflict was. Well, one one guy who I felt they tried to do that with for a time and they dropped the ball was Kane. You know, masked persona Kane and then sadistic right, right. unmasked Kane. Did do you think that his character, if handled in a similar fashion the way they handled Jake, where they just let that natural charisma shine through instead of trying to bottle it up, the character would have been more successful than it is now? 
Yeah, you know, I think he got a, a little bit, you know, buried in being hooked up with Undertaker. Uh, in that he was never going to be, he was always going to be, in a sense, the younger brother who didn't quite make it. Uh, so he was sort of overshadowed by Undertaker, and I don't think he really had the chance to bring out his character as well as he could have. And then once they sort of went in separate directions, uh, you know, he was already pretty mocked, and, you know, I mean, his character was pretty set. But, uh, you know, he, he's also another guy who, you know, out of the ring is a very bright guy. And uh, I think he, if he was unleashed, he probably could have done a lot more with his character. I figured. Um, lastly, uh, with, with that, with those guys, how do you feel with now The Undertaker's persona leading up to what is considered to be possibly his last match? Do you feel that the way it's been handled and the mystique that applied to it has been lost with certain aspects of his of his persona being changed, you know, from biker undertaker to, you know, American badass undertaker to the, you know, when he cut his hair. Do you feel that it's kind of watered down the gimmick where every time they bring him back in his original incarnation, it's become a shell of its former self? You know, to some extent, yes. You know, to some extent, though, he's so big that he still, you know, has the draw and you can get back into it. And, uh, you know, he can work a match so well. Um, but, yeah, it would have been nice if they, if, if, if there wasn't as much all over the place. If he had stayed, you know, in one character uh, a little more consistently. Uh, you know, I think now, you know, everyone, you know, sort of knows the reality. They know he's close to retirement. And, uh, you know, he's almost doing half shoot, half, you know, half work. Um, so everyone's sort of in on it. And to, in a way that works now because of the stage of the career he's at. Uh, but he, he's not the undertaker he was. He's now the undertaker, the, basically the icon, the, you know, the, the, someone who's going to be an immortal in the sport as opposed to being a true character out there. Well, if you had any parting words for, for wrestlers that are starting out that are trying to find their personas, what would you, what would you want them to, to know? Uh, boy, I think, you know, be honest with yourself. Uh, try to find in yourself what you want to convey in the ring. And, you know, make sure you're grounded so you know the difference between the, in the ring and at home. But when you're in the ring, try to really reach down and find that character within yourself. Uh, you know, I see a lot of indie wrestlers come out and they'll think up a clever gimmick, but it has no real meaning or emotion involved. It has to have emotion. If it doesn't have emotion and passion, if it's just clever or colorful, it, then it's going to be sort of a storybook. It will be comic book, but it's not going to last. Uh, you have to go where the emotion is, and you have to be able to feel that emotion yourself. And, and here I'm going to quote uh, Ted DiBiase from, you know, when I gave a seminar with, with, with him in April. He said that whenever he did anything, he felt it. And if he didn't feel it, he didn't do it. You know, and that doesn't mean that he does it outside the ring, but he felt it, and he knew what he was doing, he felt what he was doing, and that's why the fans could connect with it. 
That works for me. I hope hopefully <laughs> some hopefully some of the some of the up and coming guys that are listening to this will apply that because I have seen a lot of clever gimmicks that just feel like you know I'm putting on a costume and I'm going to play this character versus I am this right. character. Right. You know, recently just uh, I'm just tired. Over the last couple months, I've been traveling a lot. Actually, I've been on the road for most of the last year and a half. And I've gone to quite a few indie shows. I was up at NWA Hollywood just this last weekend. Uh, uh, the West Coast Wrestling uh, two weeks ago, and then when I was back east, I saw some indie groups in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And you know, a lot of these guys have passion, and you can tell the guys who really want to make it, but connect with that emotion connect with that emotion. Those are the guys who make it. And if anyone's interested, feel free to email me because, as I say, that's one of the things I, I like doing is working with young people coming up, male or female. And please feel, you know, go to my website, email me, and I'd be glad to talk to anyone, you know, give them some suggestions or for whatever it's worth. Well, David, it was a, it was such, such a pleasure talking to you, and I definitely, you know, want to have you back. Whenever, whenever you want to come back, you're more than welcome to do so. Um... Is there any you know any any other plugs besides the one besides the ones we discussed that you want to throw out there? Uh, well, when my when my book is done, I'll plug it. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. I have, couple, I have a couple projects in the works right now, but I'm about six months away from them being out. For right now, you know, my website is uh, www.dmrdynamics is one word dot com, and uh, my Twitter is at the shrink wrap is one word, <laughs> and uh, Contact me. I love to just shoot the bull. And uh, over the next six months, I do have a couple of projects that uh, hopefully we'll get off the drawing board. And hopefully we can talk about that more at that time. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, you know, next time you're in New York, let's definitely, you know, get together, grab a bite. Actually, I'll, actually I'll, you know, I'm just uh, for anyone who's in the area, I'm in California now, and I'll be here till October. I'm actually going to be in the North Dakota and Minneapolis area for November. Uh, and if I don't uh, freeze my watch it's off, I'll be in New York around Christmas time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! So when you are up here, definitely drop me a line. You know, maybe we'll grab a bite to eat. Will do. All we'll right, do. brother. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you again, Doc. Take care of yourself. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. All right. That was Doctor David Rice. You can check out his website. It's www.dmr dynamics.com you can follow him on twitter at the shrink wrap and also if you want to keep up with some of the work he's done with cauliflower alley you can head over to www.caulifloweralleyclub.org uh, definitely i recommend you guys read the presentation he did about personas baby faces heels and turns and the psychology of the fans reactions that's so it was such a great read. I actually put it on my iPad when he sent it to me, and I read it because there was so many things that were applicable to some of the characters in wrestling now and some of the personas that I learned a lot. And I'll be 100% honest with you guys in saying that I was really nervous doing this interview for a couple of reasons. Um, I was nervous because I'm speaking to a medical professional and I'm just a, a, a wrestling fan. And um, I, I really was very, very, very nervous. Not because of who he was as a professional, but just because as a fan, 
I wasn't sure I'd be able to hang with him. And, you know, I, I'm always honest with you guys. I, I really was nervous about it, but I was so glad that we were able to relate on so many things and he was able to answer so many questions about uh, the psychology of certain wrestlers and the psychology of certain personas. I I, I was honored to, to speak to him, and that's not even me saying it because he was my guest, but just we've exchanged a few emails, and I just learned so much about the inner workings and the mental game of wrestling just from reading his piece and even speaking to him now that it helps look at the sport as in a totally different light. I mean, I can look at it as an insider for some reasons, as a fan for others, but to look at it from just the level of of detail that needs to be applied to building certain personas, I've I've gotten an even bigger appreci- appreciation for professional wrestling and the work that those guys and girls put in. So I want to thank Dr. Rice for coming through, and he definitely has an open-door invite. I'm just going to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to come back, and we are going to wrap up MMA right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music, and they laugh in, like, really high voices, like... Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, before we were... Before we were joined by Dr. Rice, we were talking about uh, the Strike Force event, and I was talking about some of the payouts. I'm not going to go through all of them because, needless to say, everybody got paid. Let's just go with that. Um, in some UFC news, Tito Ortiz, it's been announced we'll be meeting Antonio Rogerio Noguera at UFC 140. That's going to be taking place December 10th at the Air Canada Center in Toronto. Um, this was a fight. I'm real. This is well. This is a fight I'm really looking forward to seeing, only because it's a fight where both guys have a lot to lose. Noguera's been coming off some sketchy performances. Tito was coming off a loss and and off a win, then off a loss. So he's in that really gray area where I'm sure Dana White is watching him very carefully. Um, super pumped for that. I'm sure that De Silva is going to be all over that come December in Canada, and so are, our, so are some of our other Canadian listeners that will be there. But I know for De Silva, this is huge because he lives in Canada, and to be able to be a part of that and see a fight with basically two big names in the sport is is huge. And I'm a big Tito fan. I'm not going to hide that, and I'm pulling for him just because he's really turning the corner and performances in fights like this can can really set the tone for the rest of his career. This weekend, we got UFC Fight Night um, 25. That's going to be airing on Spike TV at 9 o'clock. And also, we got Bellator 50. That's going to be airing on at 7 p.m. on MTV2. We got the middleweight tournament quarterfinals going on. And the prelim card will be streamed on Spike.com, which is interesting because, obviously... Bellator's on MTV2, and there's been a lot of rumors saying that Bellator will be making the move to 
Spike TV and streaming all the prelims on Spike.com is definitely adding a lot of fire to that rumor. Now, it wouldn't be an M- an, another MMA segment without me talking about Nick Diaz. Last week, I spoke about Nick Diaz losing his title shot to Carlos Condit and him instead now fighting BJ Penn. Now, the funny thing about it was that Nick Diaz recently gave his take on the situation. And the funny thing about it is I like Nick Diaz. And even though he pulled the shit he pulled, I still like Nick Diaz because as a fighter, I just enjoy what he does. There's a lot of drama and a lot of shit that goes with that. But he's always going to be an exciting fighter. And GSP is... Excuse me. GSP is GSP. So, I I just want to go through some of the statements that he gave. Um, The first one, of course, was how does he feel about losing his title shot? And he goes, I'm not trying to make all these little excuses. If I'd known the fight was going to be off, I would have fucking gone to the press conference or I would have told somebody, hey, if I don't make it to this stupid shit, I'm not fighting. I think that people would have gotten me there. I think people would have come and gave two shits and gotten me to the press conference. That is true. On not attending the press conference, he stated, I didn't even know there was a press conference. I thought it was some PR thing. People were trying to tell me, you're going to go and do this skit and that I was going to be part of some PR skit where I had this part where I was walking through a hall, kind of like the scene Jake Shields did. I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding? No. I'm So I'm thinking, somebody better come over here and tell me what I'm doing and get me ready to go do it so I don't look like an ass. That's how I feel when you're coming to get me ready for something I'm not ready for. I didn't know it was supposed to be a press conference until the same day I was supposed to be making it to the press conference. I just don't like the way people are treating it and acting like I backed out of a fight. Why would I do that? I can't dispute that. The man speaks truth. But but on the same note, I do have to say that part of the game is doing all the PR shit doing all the skits and all the bullshit. That's that's part of what is a draw for these fights. One of the one of the things I have to commend the UFC on was when they did the Jake Shields promo with GSP with with him and all his medals and showing his his record. It was such a well-done presentation that you just knew it was a big fight. It gave you that big fight feel. And Nick Diaz Maybe he just looked at it differently, but he should have been ready for something like that because you're promoting such a huge fight with such major implications. You have GSP, you know, the the clean-cut face of the UFC. Then you got the cocky, brash Nick Diaz who looks at the fight game as exactly that, the fight game. He doesn't look at it as this is a business. He looks at it like, I like to fight. I get paid to fight. So that's as far as I need to go, which has worked for him. And, you know, it's gotten him very far. But when you're dealing with an animal like the UFC that's mainstream with Fox and is is pretty much a household name with mixed martial arts, you have to play that game. And, And it's unfortunate because, like I said, I understand that side of things. It's a, it's like working for a company and you go to your company to do your job. You don't want to go out to happy hour. You don't want to go and do all this bullshit. I should know because I'm one of those people. If I work with you for eight hours and we're, we're kind of cool or even if we are cool, if I spend eight hours looking at your fucking face, I sometimes don't want to go and spend another three hours sitting in a restaurant with you hearing your bullshit 
about work. I'd rather just go to fuck home. So I can I can understand that. I understand that he's a fighter. He fights, and that's what he wants to do. Sometimes though, you got to take one for the team and go and you know do the little song and dance and play it up. I mean, when he did a promo with Paul Heyman for EA Sports MMA. It was Nick Diaz being Nick Diaz, but it was so well done and so great. And Paul Heyman, who, like I've always said, is a genius, knew the right buttons and the right way to paint Nick Diaz where it looked more like this is a guy who we're interfering in his training versus this is a guy who wants to sell you a product or sell you a fight. I think Paul Heyman has a great talent for that. I've said that numerous times. And that's the thing with Nick Diaz. You have to sell Nick Diaz as the fighter you can't sell nick diaz from a pr standpoint because that's not who he is that's not his style so i understand his statement when asked about how he felt about gsp laughing at him he goes i really don't appreciate this motherfucker sitting there at this press conference laughing at me that's some real bitch shit he's sitting there laughing like it's funny or something if i saw george on the street and called him a bitch i bet i bet you he wouldn't do shit I bet you if I walked up and gave him a slap, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't do shit. But you can't do that to me. That's not how it works. That's something to fight about. It makes me mad that George is going to sit there and call himself a fighter, but he's not going to stand up and say something about this. He's going to let it ride. I think it would say something. I think I would say something. I would at least have said, I disagree. I don't agree with canceling the fight because of some dumbass shit. Instead, he sat there and said... He doesn't have the commitment to be a champion. What is that? I obviously have the commitment to throw my life away. I've thrown my life away and sacrificed everything so that I can fight. I did that. I threw my life away so I could work hard and train and fight. That's commitment. And you know what? Looking at it from that perspective, the man is right. Look, I like GSP. GSP is awesome. He's he's a talented fighter, a great ambassador for the sport, but... In getting down to brass tacks, and I'm sure De Silva and, and some of the guys in the chat will agree with this, if you're the best at something and someone is just as good and is challenging you to see who the best overall is, you're going to want the opportunity regardless. I don't give a fuck if there's a rainstorm and we can't do it today, we reschedule, we do it tomorrow. And to assume that Nick Diaz wouldn't show up at that fight, Nick Diaz is, 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 is crazy, but he, he wants to fight. He wants to do that. So I, I do have to agree that GSP could have been like, look, Dana, you know, he didn't show up. It's Nick Diaz being Nick Diaz. Let's just make this fight happen. And that would have been it. I understand um, Dana White did what he had to do, and, you know, Caesar Gracie acknowledged that he did the right thing, and that's fine. You know, business is business, and sometimes you got to protect your investments, and that's great. But I do agree that GSP really didn't go after it like, yo, man, you know, if he fights fucking BJ, I want to fight him next. I don't give a shit. Like, as, as a competitor, as somebody who's a, uh, the best in the business, you, you want that person. You want that person to test yourself with. Not to say that Carlos Condit doesn't have the opportunity and, and the skill set to beat GSP, but the way they hype Nick Diaz as being the be Strike Forces champion coming in to challenge the UFC champion is huge. It's huge. The guy forfeited his belt. He stopped the boxing for this opportunity. Now, will Dana give him the opportunity afterwards? 
Who knows? Does he deserve it? To some, yes. To some, no. Do the fans want to see it? Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. The fight with Condit is good. BJ Penn and Nick Diaz is, is, is a great fight on paper. But Nick Diaz and GSP need to fight. It needs to happen. And it needs to happen. Because there's so many ways that you can sell that fight. And Nick Diaz, just being Nick Diaz, can sell that fight. Because all he has to do is say, Hey, I know showed a fight, but this motherfucker didn't want to fight me. And instead, just let me get bullshitted off this card. There's such a great story built off of this now that it's a no-brainer that it's going to happen. Nick Diaz is a dude that he he takes shit real personally. He takes shit personally, especially disrespect. And he feels GSP disrespected him. So I know he's going to want to put fist to face. That's a given. So we'll see how it pans out. Now... Earlier in the segment, I mentioned UFC Fight Night 25. That's going to be happening this Saturday in New Orleans at the Ernest N. Morial Convention Center, which I'm sure uh, one of our listeners, Strider, is a New Orleans resident. He may want to be in that area to, you know, check out some MMA and maybe check out some of the probably they'll probably do an expo or something small for that. So Strider, you may want to look into it. It's going to be happening this Saturday. The main card is on Spike TV. The main event is Jake Ellenberger versus Jake Shields. Court McGee versus Donnie Yang. You got Jonathan Brookins and Eric Koch. Alan Belcher and Jason McDonald are on the Spike TV card. All the prelim fights will be on Facebook. So if you want to check them out, make sure to like UFC on Facebook. Cody McKenzie and Wagner Roca. Shamar Bailey and Evan Dunham. Uh, Lance Benoist and Matt Riddle. Ken Stone and Donnie Walker, Seth Bozinski and Clay Harvison, um, Mike Stump versus TJ Waldberger, you got Mike Lulo and Robert Peralta, and Justin Edwards versus Jorge Lopez. All those fights are on Facebook. So, um, again, our buddy Strider, if he's in New Orleans and he wants to check out the, the UFC experience, Saturday night is your night. In some Fedor news, you know that Fedor's been out of the spotlight for a little bit. Fedor will be fighting Jeff Monson. The rumors are now official. The fight is going to be happening in November, uh, November 20th, for an M1 Global event in Russia. It's been rumored that the, it may be taking place November 12th, but uh, November 20th seems to be the date that they want to go with so that they don't have to deal with the UFC on Fox or Manny Pacquiao's uh, fight against Juan Manuel Marquez, which are both scheduled for November 12th. So, Fedor fights in November. You got UFC on Fox. You got Pacquiao fighting. You got Spike TV's uh, UFC Fight Night 25 this weekend. Just a a great a great time for combat sports. And you got Bellator also at 7 p.m. on MTV2. That's gonna wrap up the MMA segment. I'm gonna take another commercial break. When we get back. We're going to talk some wrestling right after this. What about on tonight, even? Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight tumbling with tumbleweed Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? 
blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. All right. Now, normally, I would have to open up and talk about TNA's pay-per-view this past Sunday. And I've been on the fence about it because there were a couple of things I like, a couple of things I disliked. But you know what? I have realized that TNA continues to fuck the fans over with a lot of their bullshit. So I've decided I'm not going to talk about it. The only thing I'll tell you is that Robert Roode will be facing Kurt, uh, Kurt Angle. That's it. Other than that, fuck you guys. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw, though. Monday Night Raw was had a lot of great moments, but they weren't great enough to say that the show was stellar. I will tell you that the closing promo between CM Punk and Triple H was masterful, well done, and perfect leading up to Night of Champions. Now, the rest of Raw, eh, hit or miss. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'll tell you that the Miz with R-Truth and Evan Bourne versus Kofi Kingston match, well, uh, Evan Bourne accompanied by Kofi Kingston was awesome. Not only that, but the promo leading up to that match with The Miz and R-Truth was perfectly executed. I think that Truth and Miz have hit their stride as a duo, and they really should continue to do that. Well, they should really continue to push these guys as a, as a unit, as a stable, because th- there's something there which you wouldn't think there would be, because they're such different characters, but the the... the relationship between them and the way it's going down is insane there's so much great from the miz doing our truths catchphrase to our truth during the miz's catchphrase it's it's so fluid and so perfect that i have to commend the uh the wwe creative team for putting those two guys together and like i said the promo was great um there i guess they're teasing mcgillicuddy embracing his kurt hennig uh, heritage, which they've done so much damage to it, and looking at it now, I'm kicking myself in the ass for not act, uh, not asking Dr. Rice about it because the McGillicuddy situation is is such a great example of uh, of a guy trying to distinguish himself, but also persona wise, but also want to be taken seriously based on who his father was. There's such a a great a great story with McGillicuddy because they've said he wants to build himself based on his own talent and doesn't re- want to rely on his name. But Randy Orton has a it, it has a legend for a father and he's distinguished himself from his father greatly, especially by being you know what what Dr. Rice was saying such a such a complex and well-done heelish character. McGillicuddy needs to do the same thing, hit his own stride as an individual and just attach the name because it's who you are. Everyone knows you are the son of Mr. Perfect. There's no necessity to hide that, and you can embrace it to an extent. Nobody's telling you to come out with the towel and do the gum swat and wear the singlet 
and do you know all the big nets where you know you shoot you you throw the football to yourself or you shoot a uh, 53 pointers no one's asking for that so where they go with his character and the success rate of it remains to be seen john cena and bret hart because of course you know it's in canada so you know hitman's there against del rio and rodriguez is short simple and to the point uh rodriguez ended up eating the sharpshooter everybody was happy with that i could give two fucks kelly kelly and vicky guerrero now if i had eaten mexican food and i wanted to take an explosive shit this would have been the match to do it why they put vicky guerrero in this match i have no fucking clue none on on the flip side the funny thing is at least if you're putting her in there with vicky guerrero put vicky guerrero in with somebody who will make her look good kelly kelly's wrestling ability has always been suspect it always has been i can i reinforce it every week and i can tell you that her and vicky guerrero's match is the equivalent of you putting two cockroaches in a jar and letting them fight it was it was on that level of absurdity that i just could give two shits about it i really i honestly think that i had just finished eating a lightly sauced bagged entree if i remember correctly it was uh, alfredo sauce and vegetables with whole wheat penne and i proceeded at that point in the match to get up and proceed to build a chocolate city because I was more interested in building said Chocolate City than watching that shitty-ass match. Vicky Guerrero's great as a manager, and even as a wrestler, it's good for a comedy gimmick, but Kelly Kelly's not a, a, a level... She's not a high-level wrestler yet. She's not. I don't give a fuck how they book it or how they write it. She's not. If you would have told me, hey, Vicky's in there with uh, a Natalia, a Beth Phoenix, maybe a Gail Kim... I'd even take a Molina or a Trish Stratus. Then yes, they're absolutely even a Lita, depending on which Lita you're looking at. But um, her Kelly Kelly, ugh. All right, the Randy Orton Cody Rhodes match. We've seen it fucking three times, and I I feel that they're they're grooming Cody for the main event push and for the eventual long feud with orton which is fine there's such there's so much history there but we've seen the match three fucking times already guys come on i mean Rhodes did look good in the match i think that the the chemistry with orton is there it's just that seeing this match already three times has kind of lost its luster i'm glad cody Rhodes got the victory and it kind of opens up that whole potential for a feud but We've seen it already, so what the fuck else are they going to do? And like I said, the the interview with Triple H and Punk, fantastic, stellar, start to finish. Alright, let's get into some other wrestling news. Our buddy Jeff Katz, every week, continues to announce great things going on with the Wrestling Revolution Project. Um, it was announced that he had signed Lance Storm to be a producer for the project. And also we got two talent announcements this week. Sean Spears and Joey Ryan will be joining the promotion. They join Carl Anderson, Mike Rollins, Amazing Red, Ben Muth, 
Prince Devitt, Luke Gallows, Sean Davari, MVP, Kenny Omega, Kenny Doan, Sammy Callahan, Colt Cabana, Alex Reynolds, um, Emil Stiasi, and Dr. Luther are already official for the Wrestling Revolution Project, which will be filming in October and will be distributed via streaming on the web and also via DVD. You can actually keep up with that stuff by following the WRP Project or going to Geek Week Online as Jeff announces new talent every day. Now, usually, most times I acknowledge the WWE Divas for a lot of their bullshit and for their subpar wrestling ability. This past week, though, it seems that there has been a lot of uh, veiled commentary from certain Divas. This week, it seems, last week it was the Bella Twins, this week it is Rosa Mendez, who took to Twitter to direct some comments at some of the rookie Divas. Uh, One thing... You can tell that she was mostly directing it at AJ, Caitlyn, and I believe Maxine as well. Let me give you guys some of her statements. If I'm making people upset, I don't really care. I'm sick of seeing the Divas division ruined by these rookies. Sexy, smart, and powerful. Another tweet from her said, Stay in FCW and stop shopping at Target, chicas. Another tweet she put out said, One rookie looks 12 with a crater face. One looks like she's 40. And the other looks like she needs to go to Jenny Craig. She was referring to Maxine, probably. She re- she went on to sa- send out another tweet that said, Something happened. If you knew, you would understand. Don't stop loving me. Rosa Mendez doesn't go on a rant for no reason. Now, Rosa Mendez... I like Rosa Mendez, but let's let's be honest here. Let's not... Let's not try and fucking coat this with, with a pretty with a pretty fucking pay, with a pretty paint job. Let's not. Rosa Mendez was on tough enough. She was. So before you're here talking about you know sexy, smart, and powerful, and and admonishing rookies, you were from fucking tough enough. And sure, you may have gone to the to the indies and done some shit out there but you were on tough enough you were a tough enough contestant it wasn't like you were signed as an independent talent you were on tough enough pot meat kettle sure aj doesn't look like your like your typical diva but you know what if every diva was bleach blonde and plasticed out it wouldn't it, it would be fucking bullshit one of the things that I continue to commend TNA for having is varied knockouts that you can get behind, whether it's the the crass ODB or the 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 you know the the good looking Velvet Sky or the Japanese wrestling acumen of somebody like Hamada who was there, or if you're a fan of Spanish chicks, you know you get behind Sarita and Rosita. That that's how there's there's such a diverse group of talent in the women's roster in TNA that you can relate and become a fan of any of them. The WWE continues to churn out the Barbie factory. They do. The Kelly Kellys, the Trish Stratus, uh, the Tori Wilson. We can go down the list of all these you know, pretty, blonde, beautiful women that have been pushed by the WWE as the ideal. Now, 
when you start looking at different divas, you look at a Beth Phoenix, you look at a Natalia, you look at an AJ or a Gail Kim or even a Molina for that matter that have certain talents, certain traits and wrestling abilities that set them apart. So what if AJ Lee looks like she's fucking 12? If she wrestles better than your ass, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit if she shops at Target? Do you think that she gets paid a shitload of fucking money? I'm sure she doesn't. Caitlyn, yeah, she she really doesn't have a gimmick. But you know what? Half of these chicks didn't have a gimmick to begin with. So give them a shot. And and to bring that beef out on Twitter is is silly. Because what you're doing is fueling the dirt sheets and putting shit out there that is business that should be handled internally. This is some real high school shit. And I like Rosa Mendez. She's, you know, she has a cool look to her. But even, even her persona and her character has gone into that bleach blonde. She's not a bleach blonde white girl. She's just a bleach blonde Spanish chick. And I'm not even using race as the factor. It's just that you're trying to go into that cookie cutter WWE Playboy centerfold look. But the problem is nobody connects with you because you're never on fucking television. AJ people connect with because, you know, she's cute. She's perky. She tries to play that, you know, I've always been a fan and I'm living my dream. And you know what? For any girl watching wrestling, they'll relate quicker to an AJ Lee than they would to a Kelly Kelly. They'll relate quicker to a to a to a Beth Phoenix or a Natalia than they will to a Kelly Kelly. Because you look at Kelly Kelly, you see, you know, the ideal perfect girl. And not for nothing, these are, we're all imperfect people in an imperfect world. To to make that the standard of, of what a quote-unquote diva needs to be is foolish. So it's good that there's variety. But to take that, that beef to Twitter and put it out there so publicly is just bullshit. It's real fucking petty. So, Rosa Mendez, you done fucked up. I understand where you're coming from, but come on. Come on, son. Stop. Alright, Matt Hardy. Good old Matt Hardy. It seems every week or every couple of weeks, Matt Hardy's getting himself into some shit. Jeff Hardy gets himself on impact. Matt Hardy gets himself arrested. That is correct. Matt Hardy was recently arrested on a DWI charge in Raleigh, North Carolina. He got uh, arrested August 20th. For a DWI that led to his release in TNA. So he has a court date set for that on September 28th. His next court date is scheduled for October 11th for a different incident. He was charged with reckless driving and wanton disregard. The next one is the latest arrest and he'll have to be in court November 30th for driving while impaired. Not only that, but they're saying that on September 11th, he fucking crashed his car... Um, into a guardrail and said that he got ran off the road. I can sit here and give you guys the, the bullshit about, you know, Matt Hardy's fucked up. Look, I'm not going to do that. But listen, if you're Matt Hardy's friend and you're really his friend, stage a fucking intervention. Stick him in rehab and get him some help. Matt Hardy's going to end up in an obituary because of this shit. The man clearly has a problem. And, and you know, he's going on Twitter, oh, I've been framed, I've been framed. Nobody's framing you 
to have a DUI? No one. And anybody that co-signs to all this bullshit is a fucking enabler. You're enabling this man's destruction. If you're really his friends, and I, and, and I put this out there too, you know, the, 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 the Shane Helms and all these guys, do something serious to help him. Stage some sort of an intervention because this guy is going to end up dead. I'm sorry. It's a shitty way to say it, but the man's going to end up dead. And then you're going to see all the boohooing on Twitter, Facebook, dirt sheets. Oh, he was such a good wrestler. All these fake fucking fans that come out. Look, if I were to read, God forbid, you know, knock on wood. If I were to read a month from now that Matt Hardy's dead again. Knock on wood that that never happens. I wouldn't sit here and say, yeah, you know, he was such a great performer. No. You know what I would say? It was bound to fucking happen. Seriously. It was bound to happen. Bound to fucking happen. He needs a, a, a hardcore intervention. Because it's three fucking court dates. Three for bullshit bullshit it's like if you're addicted to pills of any sort you need fucking help if you weren't drunk you're taking some shit that's fucking you up and if it's legal medication that's fucking you up don't drive hire a driver take a cab ride a bus I can't even I can't even sit here and and put this any other way. The guy needs help. I'm not I can't sit here and poke fun and you know uh, Matt Hardy version .03. Thanks to Silva for that. I can't do it because it's clearly a cry for help. This fucking dude needs help. Somebody needs to do something. Now. When we were talking about the MMA segment, I was talking about Ric Flair, well, Triple H's thoughts on the UFC. He also said some stuff about Ric Flair, but I want to talk about what he said about the UFC. He said that the UFC um, doesn't evolve. He goes, I don't think we the WWE needs to evolve. It's two totally different things. I think now especially there's this thing like, oh, it's very similar. I don't see us needing to evolve to what the UFC does, quite frankly. Sometimes the fights are long and boring. Guys lying around and sometimes the fights are fast and over in five seconds. I've always thought one of the things about us, if you look at us solely from a sports standpoint, is that we always give you a good show. We're never going to give you a crap game. He went on to say, I think that if anybody needs to evolve, it's them. Give them more of an entertainment standpoint. Give more form. They just have fighters who walk in in t-shirts and shorts and just stand there. And then they fight and they win and they go, thanks. I'd like to thank my sponsors. Then they leave. The whole world was up in arms when Brock was flipping people off and cussing at the beer company because they didn't give him any money and everyone thought, oh my God, he's disrespectful. The whole world was talking about it. They couldn't wait to see him get beat up. And then he did well. And he beat some guys and then people jumped on the bandwagon saying Brock's the greatest. He went on to say, I'm good friends with Floyd Mayweather. And Floyd Mayweather would be the first to tell you, I make the most money in boxing and have the biggest buys because I have the biggest mouth. He'd be the first guy to tell you that. That's what it's about. Sports is entertainment. Now, with that said, CM Punk took to Twitter 
and said the UFC needs to evolve more than WWE, he puts ridiculous, laugh out loud ignorance. If you don't evolve, you die. This was from CM Punk. Now, Triple H wants to talk about not putting on boring matches, not putting on bullshit. Let's talk about Bill Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. Let's talk about the fucking calamity that that fucking match was. How about that? Let's talk about that calamity where both guys were leaving the company. Everybody knew it was going to happen and people shit on that match. Even though clearly it was a match everybody wanted to see, nobody gave a fuck about it because the entertainment standpoint was gone. Do I feel that the UFC need to focus on fighters and help them build personas? Yes, to a degree. But you know what? Much like the WWE, some guys don't need characters to sell fights. Some guys are talented enough that they can sell it without talking shit. That's just the way it is. Randy Couture, a legend in this sport, built his reputation on being a great fighter all the way into the into his 40s. Uh, he never went out and cut promos or talked shit about sponsors or cursed or any of this. He went out there and he and he showed he showcased his ability as an athlete, and that's what made people want to buy fights. Anderson Silva, yeah, he talks a little shit, but most of the time in his little Chris Tucker Portuguese voice, you don't know what the fuck he's saying anyway. So the translator's the one that sells the fight for you. And you know what sells the fight? The fact that it's Anderson Silva, the fact that he's one of the, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the game. Same thing with Fedor. You don't see Fedor talking shit. Fedor got people to watch his fights because Fedor was one of the best in the game. Period. If anybody needs to evolve and look at sports as as a, as a as a base, it's wrestling. One of the things that myself and Josh, one of our writers for My Take Radio, discuss is a ranking system. Why don't you create some sort of a ranking system to help, you know, give the fans something they can follow? So that way, when certain wrestlers are wrestling, you know that it's based on rankings. And you can throw some storyline in there, but give them something they can get behind. Don't create a feud because a guy accidentally peed on your shoe in the locker room. Or don't create a feud because somebody spilled coffee on somebody's girlfriend. Don't do that. So if anybody's talking about evolution, it's wrestling. Wrestling needs to evolve beyond PG, beyond the Attitude Era, into something where, like Dr. Rice said earlier, and even Jeff Katz said, where the fans aren't being played as being stupid. That's the evolution that wrestling needs to do. Of course, you're going to acknowledge the UFC negatively because the same demographic that watches wrestling is the same demographic that's going into MMA. So you don't want to say it, but you're a little scared because more colorful personalities are appearing in MMA. You're seeing guys like the Mayhem Millers, the Michael Bispings, the Josh Koscheck's. Even the GSPs with Nick Diaz. These are guys that built their reputations and their personas on their ability. And then they just, you know, added a couple of little things in there. I'm sure Josh Koscheck is probably a, a, an awesome person to know. His persona is dickish. Yes, but he's probably a cool guy. Probably. You know, Dan Hardy's a guy that's a great example. I didn't really like him, but when I watched the build-up to his fight with George St. Pierre, and I saw, you know, he trained He trained in the fucking Shaolin Temple. As a fan of martial arts, and just as a, as a fan of martial arts films, to know that someone, that a fighter, actually 
lived in the Shaolin Temple and learned the ways. That's 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 incredible. That's a that's a fantastic story. You have to add a level of realism to professional wrestling. Sure, the UFC need, some of their guys need a, a little bit of coaching, but you know what? These guys are paid to fight. They're not paid to talk shit. If they talk shit, it's because that's what they're good at. Nick Diaz isn't paid, like like I talked about earlier, he's not paid to go to events and go to pageants, like he said, and do all this bullshit. He's paid to put fist to face, foot to ass, cash a check, and move on. That's what he's there for. Does he talk shit? Yes. Does he help sell fights? Yes. Brock Lesnar also does the same shit. That's what they do. But these are guys that have mastered that. And Brock Lesnar's wrestling background gave him the in to make that happen. Easy as that. To Silva brought up a great point. Chris Lytle. Chris Lytle isn't walking around talking a whole bunch of shit leading up to his fight. He goes out there and has fight of the night performances. Period. Yes, you have fights that end in five seconds because of a KO. And yes, you have fights that they drag out because of the ground game. But that's where your lack of education on the sport comes in because it's called mixed martial arts for a reason. And like I've always said, if I'm a good fucking wrestler, I'm going to use that because a win is a win. Period. People remember winners and they forget losers really fucking quick. And I can say that because we've seen what's happened with a guy like Fedor, who regardless of what people say is a fucking legend... And as soon as he lost a couple of fights, ah, Fedor's a fucking bum, Fedor's exposed. That's not the way this shit works, dude. Triple H, you're talking out of concern. You're never going to admit that, but y'all are concerned. You know that the UFC is picking up. The UFC's on Fox. The UFC is, is, is hitting that mainstream stride where you can go and buy a GSP fucking bobblehead or a GSP fathead for your kid. Kids are going from, I want to be like Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock to, I want to be like George St. Pierre. I want to be like the next Dan Hardy, the next Matt Sarah. I want to be the next uh, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, because kids are seeing a level of, of athleticism that... While it is existing in wrestling, has grown stale. So instead of sitting in there, sitting here, at Triple H, and admonishing the the growth of the UFC, why don't you work on building wrestling to compete on an even playing field, and work on on building relationships with your respective companies because there's money to be made with our demographic, the male 18 to 24 demographic or even 18 to 34 demographic is a target audience. And you'll catch more fans on a... Eddie Alvarez from fucking Bellator appeared on Impact. Why? Because he did. Simple as that. And you know what? People got curious and people asked questions. You know how many people are, are, are were, were pumped when Rampage ended up on Raw? They didn't acknowledge that he was a UFC fighter. They just said, you know, MMA superstar rampage. But it's that level of of integration that you need to stay relevant. I really am not surprised by Triple H's comments. I just don't like the way he tries to paint it like they're that like they're a huge evolution machine. Because WWE isn't. There's still a lot of archaic shit that they do that sucks ass. Simple as that. Alright, I need a drink of water. <laughs> I'm going to take a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk 
some video games right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubbornRadio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. Born Southern Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man! <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? Yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born 7 Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Obviously, we got Tokyo Game Show that's come and gone, and a lot of news came out of that, which were, for all intents and purposes, eventful. But the video game industry right now is kind of quiet. There's there's a couple of great titles that are coming out. You got Gears 3 coming out, Dead Island, God of War Collection. The list goes on. And hopefully, the video game news are going to pick up now in the coming weeks, and I won't be able to, and I won't have to sit here and go through the video game news hoping for something great. I'll actually be able to tell you, hey, there's chock full, it's chock full of awesome this week. So, let's get into it. We all know that EA recently instituted the online pass for a lot of their titles, and obviously it was met with a mixed response, but EA was nice enough to share that they've made a decent amount of revenue from the online pass system. According to Gama Sutra. EA has made between 10 to 15 million dollars off the past system. The revenues we derived from that haven't been dramatic, um, said CFO Eric Brown. Now, the online pass situation, for those of you that don't know, is when you buy EA titles that are used, they require you to pay, I believe it's $10 extra to go online and get the online capabilities active. And obviously mixed response, but the publishers feel that they're not receiving any revenue from used titles. In some respects, I agree, but in others, you know, it's it's something that should be in the game. It should be accessible whether you buy the game, win or lose. And if you do want to make uh, revenue off used titles, then that's something you need to address with some of these big box retailers that buy back your games. There needs to be a, a level of of revenue sharing that has to be done, but that's a discussion for another day. Needless to say, the online pass is giving EA 10 to $15 million. 
In some other news, those of you that enjoyed Crisis 2 and never had an opportunity to play Crisis 1, your wish is about to be answered. Crisis will be on its way to the Xbox Live, um, the Xbox Live system and the PSN system very soon. I believe next month to be exact for 1600 Microsoft points or 19.99. The game is going to have stereoscopic 3D support, new lighting effects, new nano suitabilities, and a lot more. So next month, if you want to play the first Crisis. EA and Starbreeze Studios recently announced that they're going to be rebooting the PC game Syndicate. The game which will have you playing as Miles Kylo will have you going through a Machiavellian world run without government oversight with many syndicates vying for total dominance of their local marketplace. That's straight off their press release. Starbreeze CEO said we're um excuse me. Starbreeze CEO Mikhail Nurmark said, "We are excited to finally reveal what we've been working on the past couple of years." It's been a great experience working with EA, with EA and an amazing opportunity for us to use our expertise in the first-person shooter and action and action genres to bring back and reignite the signature action espionage gameplay of Syndicate. The game is going to feature four-player co-op and should be out in early 2012 for the 360, PS3, and PC. I think I remember playing Syndicate years ago on, on a PC my buddy had. But I, for the life of me, I can't remember shit else. So if anybody can kind of give me a, a crash course in Syndicate, I really want to learn a little bit more because it sounds like a cool concept. And um, I'd probably check it out. So be on the lookout for that in early 2012. Blizzard was in the news earlier this week because they have announced plans to release six proven titles over the next three years. According to Chief Operating Officer Thomas Tipple, uh, he revealed that news at the City 2011 Technology con um, Conference. Tipple named five of six titles and hinted at what the sixth could be. You're going to get two World of Warcraft expansion packs, two StarCraft II titles, and Diablo 3. A Diablo 3 expansion has also been pegged as a possible sixth title. So those of you that are still playing World of Warcraft, don't take that disc out just yet because you're going to be getting two expansion packs. And I'm sure that the StarCraft fans are super pumped for two more titles as well. And I know a huge amount of PC gamers that love themselves some Diablo and are chomping at the bit to get their hands on Diablo 3. So rest easy, guys. It's coming soon. Some DLC for Dead Island is going to be launching next month. The Bloodbath Arena is going to give you four new maps and unrelenting waves of zombies. The DLC is set for release later uh, later this month, uh, probably early next month, all XP and money earned from the DLC arenas will carry over to the main campaign of the game. The Bloodbath Arena is free for those that pre-order the game, but anybody else that wants to get their hands on it is going to have to fork over 10 bucks. The guys at Joystick were able to get some information from the cold hands of Nintendo with regards to 3DS releases. And I'm sure those of you that have your $169 or $249 paperweights are listening to this very closely. The brand new Mario Kart, a.k.a. Mario Kart 7, will be released December 4th. Super Mario 3D will be available in the U.S. on November 13th. In addition to that, the, there's going to be a Wii uh, Mario Dragon Quest board game coming out December 5th. 
and a DS Fossil Fighter sequel coming out November 14th. They never they did they did not give a uh, release date for Paper Mario or Luigi's Mansion, only that they'll be available in 2012. So mark those days on your calendar. Mario Kart December 4th, Super Mario 3D November 13th. If you haven't picked up Red Dead Redemption, you'll be able to pick up a Game of the Year edition, which will be available very soon. It's going to run you 50 bucks, available on the PS3 or 360 on October 11th in North America and also October 11th internationally. You're going to get all the DLC packs, the Solomon's Folly Gang hideout, and a brand new hardcore single player mode. So if you haven't picked up Red Dead Redemption, now's your time to grab a Game of the Year edition for 50 bucks. A lot of the news coming out of TGS this week were in re- in regards to the PlayStation Vita, which will be released in Japan December 17th. So I'm sure many of you will want to import yourselves a Vita. The system is going to run you 389 well $389 for the 3G model and $324 for the Wi-Fi model. This is obviously using the uh, converting uh, the Japanese money to the U.S. money. So the price that was given was 389.80 for the 3G and 324.80 for the Wi-Fi. So if you want to import that, December 17th is your day. Some of the games that were shown off at TGS included Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Ninja Gaiden Sigma, and Dragon's Crown. So I'm sure that some of those will be launch titles, which I believe there were some release dates shown from TGS, and if there were, I'll try and post them on MyTakeRadio.com or on our Facebook fan page. In some other PC game news, because that's where it's gotten to, where i got to get PC game news for you guys, a Game of the Year edition of Civilization V is going to be dropping September 27th. The edition is going to run you 50 bucks. It's going to feature the game and all the add-on content and a digital soundtrack. The add-on content includes the Civilization and Scenario Pack The Mongols, Civilization Pack Babylon, Cradle of Civilization Map Packs Mesopotamia, Americas, Asia, and the Mediterranean, Double Civilization and Scenario Pack Spain and Inca, uh, Scenario Pack for Polynesia, and also Denmark slash the Vikings. In some other news out of TGS, Team Ninja announced Dead or Alive 5 a.k.a. Bouncing Tits and Punching People in the Face, is going to be available on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 in 2012. Now look, everybody's fucking salivating and, oh my god, another Dead or Alive, super excited. No, no, stop the bullshit. The Dead or Alive franchise, as as wonderful as it looks, has never, ever really progressed forward. The graphics get better, the boobies get bigger. That's about it. Anybody that expects to tell you that there's a deep level of, of combat spends at least three hours jerking off to half of the girls that are in the game. So stop talking that shit. Don't get me wrong, I love all fighting games, even the Dead or Alive series, but I also feel that the, that the series has never really progressed forward. Only graphically. That's it. It hasn't done shit else. One thing I did want to talk about a little bit, and this kind of goes into the tech side of things, is Windows 8. I had the opportunity to check out Windows 8. Um, one of my coworkers actually downloaded it to his laptop and showed it at the office today. Windows 8 
does have some Xbox Live functionality, and Major Nelson confirmed that. Um, I didn't get to see it on the current build of Windows 8 because it is a developer build, but I will tell you that Windows 8 looks very fucking nice. Very nice, I have to admit. I currently run Windows 7 to host a show, and I did use a Mac, so before anybody says, oh, you only like Windows shit, no. I like Mac stuff, too. I do own an iPad. I've owned a couple of iPods. Hell, I even owned an iPhone. But I just wasn't able to utilize both both systems in my house currently. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't get one. Windows Mobile, well, Windows 8 is going to be comparable with desktops, but also tablets. And based on some of the pictures I've seen and what my buddy had on his laptop, it's definitely a game changer. The interface is a little different. It, it's a little bit more Xbox Live with the large menu and kind of the tiles that are that are available which you've probably seen on windows mobile phones but hey i think that it works very well and when it finally is available for retail release i'm very interested to see how xbox live is going to tie into that release dates for sonic generations have finally been announced i've i you know i played the demo of the last Sonic game, and I've been really looking forward to Sonic Generations just because it looks like a throwback to the old Sonic playing style. Well, guess what? You'll be able to get your hands on that November 1st. There's also going to be a 3DS version, which is coming with exclusive levels and a versus mode, which will probably be out later in 2011. But the PS3 and 360 versions, November 1st. Also out of Tokyo Game Show, Final Fantasy VII, which is what we all wanted to see get remade, is not getting remade. Square announced that Final Fantasy X will be getting the remake treatment for the Vita and the PS3. As of right now, they've only been talking about HD upgrades, but who knows what else we can expect. I really would like to see a Final Fantasy VII remake. I'm chomping at the bit for it. Hell, I'll even take a Final Fantasy VIII remake. Really not a fan of X or any of the ones after 7 and 8 were my favorites. Sorry, I'm, you know, my RPG knowledge is limited and those are the only two RPG games that I really enjoyed that didn't make me want to kill myself. If you picked yourself up the new Resistance 3 bundle with the Move, you get the Move controller, navigation controller, the PlayStation Eye and the sharpshooter accessory. Guess what? You can also get one with the brand new GoldenEye 007 Reloaded which will come with all the same shit. But in that bundle, you'll also get access to an exclusive character, which is Hugo Drax from Moonraker. That bundle's going to be dropping November 1st, and it's probably going to run you 150 bucks, much like the Resistance bundle did. I've just been informed that Slick is on the line. Let me bring him on, because I'm sure he has some wisdom to share with us. Slick, what's going on, brother? Why the fuck are they remaking Final Fantasy X? Dude, I ask myself the same question. Of all the ones that are, are that are guaranteed cash cows, it should have been seven. Seven would have that's a license to print money. Imagine Final Fantasy VII getting the, the, the HD remastering that the God of War games got when they released the collection. I'm like, if I want to play Final Fantasy X, I'll put this shit on my PS3 and play it. There you go. I tore the game apart. And that game was, other than, you know, the, the, um, 
there's like a place in the there's an area called the Calmlands which has the hardest fucking enemies in the game because you collect the monsters and then this guy like you chase them into fucking rabid beasts and shit. That was the only real challenge in the game because the game itself is one of the easiest Final Fantasies ever. The well, main enemy, this giant monster named Sin, I beat in like two minutes. Jesus Christ. And what do you call it? One of the recurring special monsters of the game, Ultimate Weapon. I was trying to steal a weapon from it because, you know, you can you can look at the books and see, like, what monsters you can get special weapons from. I'm sitting there trying to set up a steal for the thing. It hits one of the characters, Walker, and he had a counterattack ability. He fucking hit it back and killed it in one shot. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I'm like, don't remake that shit. It's too fucking easy. I mean, Final Fantasy VII, not only do people want to play it, the shit was challenging. Final Fantasy VII, dude, is... Like, I'm not a big RPG player but those games are fantastic fantastic seven seven being my favorites man uh one of my favorite games period the the hardest thing in final fantasy 10 was dodging lightning 200 times in a row which i don't even remember how the fuck i did that i did that one saturday morning when i was bored sure i mean final fantasy 7 just getting out of the city was was tough because you gotta run up like I don't know how many damn floors of a Shinra building. You get outside, then you get to this swamp and you see this damn snake shadow coming at you. This gigantic snake kicks your ass. Then once you actually start getting powerful, you decide, oh, I'm gonna do some of the side quests. Has one of the most annoying side quests ever, getting the fucking golden chocobo. Oh yeah, I remember that. Holy okay. shit. Just trying to breed the different colors. Then let's say you did that, trying to, to fight all the different weapons. Like the underwater weapon, if you don't have the underwater material, you got, what, 10 minutes or 20 minutes to beat it? And even if you have that shit, it's like, it kicks your ass like every time. Well, on the subject of Final Fantasy VII and even the remake of Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy 13-2 will be released December 15th in Japan, and the U.S. is going to get it January 31st, and Europe is getting it February 2nd. So you get a remake of 10 and 13-2 coming out in January here in the U.S., I don't know, man. Seven, seven is a license to print money. Is, the only problem I have with that, because I'm one of the few people who actually like Final Fantasy XIII, they they had the other um, the other Final Fantasy XIII, which people are still waiting for to come out. Why the fuck are they not working on that? And they've already finished the sequel to the first Final Fantasy XIII. I don't know, homie. I think they're just they're they're going about it a little different than than I would have expected. Like I said, I would have remade se uh, seven, and I would have just cashed in on that, 
and then I would have remade 8 and cashed in on that. Then you want to remake 9, 10, 12, 13, 15, I don't give a shit. But if you give the fans Final Fantasy 7 done right and remastered correctly, it's going to sell millions of units. Especially because that's a PS3. You can do it wrong, but you know what it is? That's the type of system, that's the type of game that can help sell systems. Because that's a PS3, that's a Sony exclusive. You know, there's no way Square can say, yeah, we're going to put this on the Xbox. No, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> not happening. They could try, but that shit will probably need at least two discs or three discs if you want to do it right. Or they can put it on the PS3 and just cash in all that money. Even if you put it on the PS3 for 40 bucks, you'll you'll make bank. True. The, um, the last two bits of news, and you could probably help me tie this out, um, Deep Silver, super, super ecstatic about the reception of Dead Island. They shipped over a million units in the U.S. in the first week, and they expect to sell two million units worldwide by the end of the week. Has Dead Island captured your attention? Is that a game you want to fuck with? Because I definitely want to check it out. I want to check it out, but I've been hearing mixed things about it. I wish it was one of those games where, like, at least for the PC version, that they really let the, the mod community have a go at it. Like, right. I saw this video online recently. Somebody turned it into <laughs> Sister of a Dead Star. I've seen that. the characters running around like Ken. And that shit was incredible. I have seen that. I mean, even minus the, the modifications, the game shows a lot of promise. I mean, just being able to run around and making it not quite as hectic as, like, um, Left 4 Dead, but definitely as creepy or more so. Tuh. I mean, I, I want I to definitely try it. But, I'll probably check out the demo this weekend because I really haven't been playing games a lot lately. I just finally turned on my console this week. So that I'll check out. But, I mean, the biggest thing I'm still, the biggest thing I'm waiting for now is, is Arkham City, which, like an idiot, I looked it up and I'm probably going to want to get in the collective edition on that. Yeah, I know. I've seen it, dude. Trust me. I'm on the fence. Um, the last two bit of news to... The last bits of news to tie this up. Mortal Kombat announced that they sold 3 million units worldwide. It is now the most successful console game for the iconic franchise, according to their press release. Apparently that's not enough because they're double-dipping again and releasing a live and PSN triple pack. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're double-dipping, but the Mortal Kombat, you know, the new one, is though it sold three million units. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, and um, you know, for that thing next month, that's definitely going to be one of the titles that I want to showcase, just because you know it's easy to pick up, it's fun to play. Um, sure, it's it, it's it's a trip into into double dip territory, but they did they did a good job, man. I liked it. I like playing as Kratos on the PS3 version. Sue me. That's <laughs> all with that, man. And um. Katamari Damacy is going to be coming out on the PlayStation Vita 
It's going to be utilizing the Vita's front touchscreen and rear touchpad for fingertip controls. Yeah, my question to that is, are they actually going to make some new levels or just repackage it again like they've been doing lately? <laughs> I, mean, I love that series, and they just got really fucking lazy with it. I mean, I understand that it's hard to, you know, really do more than they've done before because it got to the point where you rolled up a whole damn galaxy. Jesus Christ. But, I mean... Just throw in some different scenery, some different objectives and shit. It's, it's really not hard because nobody really cares about, you know, what they're rolling up, where they're rolling up. Or we just want some new levels. The game is fun. It's addictive as hell. But we don't want to play the same fucking boards again. There you go. Well, I will tell you this. Based on what you've seen with the with the Vita... And and I'll keep it brief because we still got the movies to wrap up. Is uh is the Vita a handheld you may be picking up, or is that something that you plan on making a day one purchase? I'm on the fence about that. If I do get it, it probably one I probably will wind up picking it up right away. But I still need to see a little bit more. I mean, the the Uncharted demo went a long way for selling me on the system. Right. And the capability, I forgot the name of it, but there was like a dungeon crawler that looked sort of like Diablo. The fact that, I mean, there are games, I'm sure not every game will do it, but there are games you can start on the Vita. You know, people can jump in and jump out whenever they want. You can play it while you're, you know, going to work, coming home. And when you get home, you can turn off the Vita and turn that shit on at the same point on your PS3. Yeah, something like that. It sounds like I probably will be getting it, but like I said, I still want to see a little bit more from it. All right. Um, Especially after being disappointed with the 3DS. Fair enough. All right, then we just wrapped up the gaming news. I do have uh, some movie news that when I get to, I'm going to need you to call back because it involves uh, a new Pokemon movie. So I will need your I will need your expertise. No problem, man. All right, brother. Uh, talk to you Peace. All right, I'm not going to take any more commercial breaks. I realize it's like 1.40, so I have to do the sprint to the finish line. So let's just uh, get right into it and talk some movies. We're going to jump into the movies Fast and Furious, and we're going to start with a couple of what-the-fuck movie news. The first one, a straight-to-DVD release that you guys will appreciate. It is a Christmas-themed zombie film put out by Pacific Entertainment, and it's going to be called Silent Night, Zombie Night. But the best part is, you don't have to wait till the holiday season to pick it up. You'll be able to pick this up October 4th. There you go. That's a, that's a, that's a true gem right there. Silent Night, Zombie Night. And can I tell you, I really, really need 
to bring back the minority film report for that. I don't give a shit if I have to bring Slick to my house to watch this shit with me, this fuckery. Of course, the film is set during a viral outbreak in Los Angeles on the week before Christmas that turns the populations into zombies. If I if I know anything, I guarantee you there'll be a, at least one zombie Santa Claus. Fuck, maybe two, maybe three, because, you know, it takes place during the holiday season, and I guarantee you it will be a complete shit show. Moving on, our buddies at Summit Entertainment, I'm sure they were super excited to announce Step Up 4. Coming to theaters August 10th, 2012. The film stars Catherine McCormick, Ryan Guzman, and Stephen Boss. Let me, let me school you guys on the plot synopsis. Step Up 4 is the next installment in the worldwide smash Step Up franchise, which sets the dancing against the vibrant backdrop of Miami. Emily, the daughter of a wealthy businessman, arrives in Miami with aspirations of becoming a professional dancer. We've heard this before. But soon falls in love with Sean, a young man who leads a dance crew in elaborate, cutting-edge flash mobs. The crew, called the mob, strives to win a contest for a major sponsorship opportunity. But soon, Emily's father threatens to develop the mob's historic neighborhood and displace thousands of people. Emily must band together with Sean and the mob to turn their performance mobs into protest mobs and risk losing their dreams to fight for a greater cause. Uh, I got to I got to throw a shout out to Strider that he put step up for ladder dancing. I think that the next step up should just be in a strip joint and it should just be choreographed strippers dancing. You know, can can Stacy Ann and Candy and Portia save their beloved strip joint at, from dancing at lunchtime for fat businessmen to dancing on a grand stage in Las Vegas? Like, why, why don't you just do that? Seriously, this plot is pretty much equivalent to every other fucking dancing movie we've seen. Just a couple of little changes here and there, but it's the same shit. Ugh. Let's talk box office totals. Number one, Contagion, which obviously with uh, What's-Her-Face, What's-Her-Face's terrible face when she's dying, Gwyneth Paltrow's dying face, it's like, I'm dying. If you see the, the commercial for that, her face has to be the most horrifying thing. She's just like, help me. I'm like, what the fuck? I just want to see that movie just to see her face because it was creepy as shit. That was number one. The Help was number two. Warrior is number three, which I'm hopefully going to see this weekend and review for you guys. The Debt was four. Colombiana was five. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was six. Shark Knight was seven. Apollo 18 was eight. Our Idiot Brother was nine. And Spy Kids was ten. In some heartbreaking news, I want to take a moment and extend my condolences to the family of Andy Whitfield, star of Spartacus's Blood and Sand series who passed away from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He passed away Sunday in his home in, at his home in Sydney at the age of 39. I did mention it on the My Take Radio fan page, but I did want to acknowledge it on the broadcast as well. Huge fan of the Spartacus series, and the guy had a lot of talent taken away at a long age. At a, at a, at a long age, excuse me, at a young age. Whitfield's wife issued a statement saying that he died on a sunny on a sunny Sydney morning in the arms of his loving wife. So I definitely want to extend my condolences to Andy Whitfield's family. 
Moving on. Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos. Wow, this guy's name is terrible. Juan Carlos Fresnadillo did 28 Weeks Later and is working on the Crow reboot, is going to be directing a remake of, guess what? Highlander. Yes. Not only are we getting a Crow reboot and a, t- and, and a ton of other shit, but we're getting a Highlander remake as well with Connor McLeod from the Clan McLeod, who will be in there, of course, but it's a reboot, so I guarantee you it'll be in 3D and it'll be bullshit. Gerard Butler and Lena Headley will be returning for the sequel of 300 called 300 Battle of Artemisia. They will be, of course, reprising their roles of Queen Gorgo and King Leonidas, respectively. So, even though it's going to be a different story, it is a prequel. It's being directed by Noam Murrow, and the script is from Zack Snyder and Kurt Johnstad. So be on the lookout for that. Later on this week, I, I believe tomorrow or Saturday, they are re-releasing The Lion King in theaters for a limited engagement. Um, of course, this is hyping up the 3D Blu-ray release of the film. I know Josh is probably going to be taking his daughter to see it. I'm a huge fan of The Lion King, but I, en- I enjoy and love the movie so much that I know that if I go to the movie theater and some toddler or some loudmouth kid ruins it for me, I will proceed to drown them in a bowl of popcorn. So... I will just wait for the Blu-ray release, and then I can watch it then. But another film that's being re-released and given the 3D treatment is Top Gun. Top Gun is being converted to 3D and will be re-released in 2012. You're going to have a converted version of the Danger Zone aerial flight sequence, which they have already previewed to the International Broadcasting Convention, and people are saying that it looks really good. I don't give a shit. Top Gun is an old movie and 3d do yourselves a favor look up quentin tarantino's theory on top gun so you can see the hilarity in that but not only that you can also see that his views are kind of similar to mine (laughs) i like top gun but come come on guys come on 3d top gun shit's old moving on here's a good one uh french studio guamont has announced that they will be releasing a television series based on Hannibal Lecter. The series will center on Hannibal Lecter's early days, namely his time leading to going head-to-head with FBI agent Will Graham. The backstory of the two characters we've already seen in Red Dragon and Manhunter. So that's going to be the basis for the series, and you can be on the lookout for that probably within the next year or so. A Hannibal Lecter TV series at this point, folks, it's... I don't see it being successful only because we got fucking Dexter. So if you got Dexter, why would you even give a shit about Hannibal Lecter? Moving on. In other remake news, and I talked about this on our fan page, you can get super excited for a remake of Point Break. Yes, the Catherine Bigelow action thriller Point Break, known for its surfing scenes with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, and of course the always awesome Gary Busey, is getting the remake treatment. So be on the lookout for that. Um, it seems that they're going with a testosterone-fueled action film, which is going to maintain most of the classic elements, but also is going to be brought forward and refreshed for a new audience. It's going to center on international extreme sports. So be on the lookout for that. Leave Point Break alone, remake Roadhouse. Yes, Slick is 100% right. We need a Roadhouse remake. That's what we need. 
Dalton ripping people's throats out. Yes, we need that. And we need the mullet. And we need the blind guy fucking playing the drums or the guitar, whatever the fuck he did in that cage in the club. And uh, Roadhouse remake, please. If you want to do something completely horseshit, remake Roadhouse and have the asshole that played MacGruber play the role of fucking Patrick Swayze because that's 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 how you would insult Patrick Swayze's memory. Just get the guy from MacGruber. Just do that. Because it's... Uh, I can't. I can't. We only got 10 minutes of show left, so I got to go quick. Sylvester Stallone has confirmed that for The Expendables 2, Chuck Norris and Van Damme are 100% on board. Not only that, but there are plans to add Nicolas Cage and John Travolta to the roster as well. It's going to be so great. <laughs> so fucking great. Because you know it, it's complete dog shit, but you're just going to want to watch it anyway. J.J. Abrams has officially put the rumors to rest and has committed to direct Star Trek 2. Obviously, if he didn't, he'd be afraid of money. Star Trek 2 is going to be opening July 29th, 2012. But what, it was going to open on that date, but that date is now being reserved for G.I. Joe 2. So there will be a new date at some point, but as of right now, it is unknown. G4 has announced that in addition to their Iron Man and Wolverine anime, you can expect an X-Men anime debuting October 21st. So if you're a fan of the Marvel anime series, X-Men will be debuting October 21st. Last bit of movie news to close things out. Fox has purchased the rights to the Spectre and is working on making the property a TV series. Uh, the Spectre is going to follow a former cop serving time in the afterlife limbo who hunts down earthly criminals on behalf of the dead and the mortals soon to be dead if ultimate justice is not served. I think the Spectre would be a good show, but I don't know how well it would fit into some of these current offerings on broadcast channels. That looks like something you'd want to reserve for cable and maybe do something with that. I can see the Spectre being successful as an HBO-style series, much like they did with Spawn. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think he's, he's a character that you can do a lot with, but in terms of episodic television on like a Channel 5 or a Channel 4 or any of those broadcast channels, I don't see it being successful. We all know what happened to the cape, don't we? The other bit of TV news I wanted to share with you guys is that they are adapting the source code film into a TV series. Duncan Jones is going to be working with television producer Mark Gordon on a source code TV series for CBS. The series is going to focus on three former federal agents who are part of the source code program. Each week, they will go into the consciousness of people involved in tragic events. Gordon will be producing the, the series with Philippe Rousselet as a consulting producer and Steve Maeda from Lost, who is writing the series. All right. Now, what I need Slick's help on is that Coming Soon is reporting that the newest Pokemon film, uh, White, Victini, and Zekrom, or Zekrom, will be getting a brief theatrical run on December 3rd and 4th only. It's going to be screening in 300 digital theaters worldwide. According to the uh, chief marketing officer from Digital Cinema, he states, we are thrilled to provide fans an opportunity to see this exciting new film on the big screen. Pokemon fans are a passionate group that will truly relish seeing this film together. The film will focus on Ash attempting to awaken the legendary Pokemon Zekrom to help him stop the misguided Daemon and save 
the victory Pokemon, Victini. Now, I'm going to bring Slick in because I have no idea what the story is here, and we're just going to give a quick explanation and a wrap-up. So let me just hop over to the switchboard and bring him on. Slick. What's up? All right, dude. What's the deal with Z-Crom and Victini? What What's the deal with these fucking guys? Uh, it's hard to say with the with the movies because it diverts so much from the, the the main story. Right. It's like they they can do whatever the fuck they want with it. Really, it's like the the bottom line. Zekrom is one of those all powerful Pokemon that that um just has. I think that's the lightning one. I haven't even played Pokemon in a while. I mean, it was so powerful it knocked out freaking Pikachu's ability to use any electric attacks for like an episode or two. Jesus. And it's like the size of the freaking dragon from Dragon Ball Z. Holy shit. Damn, I've been out of the loop for that shit. The only the only powerful I mean, Pokemon I remember was Mewtwo, and he's one of my favorites. I always liked do, him. It's hard to even do anything anymore when you have a fucking god Pokemon <laughs> and a devil Pokemon. Oh yeah, well that that makes perfect sense. Well, that I, was the last. That was when there was only five hundred of them. Fuck that. Well, well, while I have you on, they're saying that they're going to be dropping a trailer for it over the weekend so i don't know if you want to take a peek at it the trailer is going to be premiering this weekend on pokemon.com so i figured i would toss that in your direction because i know you can you can educate the listeners yeah i just dropped a link in the chat i mean anybody who gives a shit that's zekrom damn that's serious fucking business yeah, that he fucking zapped Pikachu and he couldn't use any electric abilities. Oh, that's nice. He's like a walking hur he's like a walking hurricane fucking Katrina. Jesus Christ. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> I I'm intri I haven't seen a Pokemon movie like I said in ages, but I was just curious and that's why I wanted to bring you in because you're you're um your expertise on that, since you've played all the games, you're, you'd are you be able to give people more of a detailed explanation. I'd be like, look, there's a big black one and a big white one, and shit's about to get real. <laughs> the thing is, the movies are usually well done. Like, they, they bring in really good artists for it, and they go hard with the CG, blending with the art and everything. It's just that they get so fucking dramatic with it. It's like... Ugh. And... With the current series, the, like, the character they have with Ash is like, I don't even give a fuck. Yeah, you got right. this one chick who has, like, the, the biggest afro in history. Like, her Pokemon hides in her afro. Fuck that. All right, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, I'm sure you'll be able to check out the trailer and, and school, school our, our readers on it. Because I'll tell you what, people love... When you write Pokemon stuff, we've discussed that. <laughs> yeah, they, they fucking get shit like six months late and wonder why they can't find anything. Oh, yeah, of course. All right, brother, that's pretty much it. All right, man, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, brother, I appreciate it.
Peace. Peace. All right, with that, we are officially finished with this week's episode. So let's just wrap things up, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 107 for Thursday, September 15th, 2011. If you'd like to be a guest, have questions or concerns, feel free to drop me an email at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're using any of the social networks, let me give you all the places where you can find us. If you're on Twitter, twitter.com slash mytakeradio is the show account. My personal account is twitter.com slash rich underscore mtr. If you're on MySpace, it's myspace.com slash mytakeradio. And on the always reliable and popular Facebook, it's facebook.com slash mytakeradio. We're almost at 1,500 fans. Definitely want to welcome all the new fans that we got and tell you guys to stop by our forums, mytakeradio.com slash forums. Also, a quick reminder, those of you that haven't used your forum accounts within the last 90 days have until September 30th to get in contact with me to either request for your accounts to remain open or your accounts will be closed. Said it last week. I kind of put it out there. I was a little pissed. But yes, September 30th, there will be a forum purge and your accounts will be deleted. So please get in contact with me either via Facebook um, or PM on the fan page or Twitter and let me know to keep your accounts open. Make sure if you want to get MTR on the go to get either of our apps either on the Android Marketplace, Amazon Marketplace, or in iTunes. The app is going to run you $1.99, and you'll get access to exclusive content, including our My Take Radio Beyond the Mic, My Take Radio Behind the Mic interview series, but also you'll get access to the Minority Film Report, you'll get wallpapers for your phones, etc., etc., etc. So it's a couple of nice little perks. It'll cost you less than a cup of coffee, so pick it up. Help us out. If you are getting the show from iTunes, take a minute, rate the show, let us know what you like, what you don't like. I always like to hear feedback, so do us that favor. We'd really appreciate it. Lastly, if you want to listen to My Take Radio, you can listen to it via Blog Talk Radio, via Stitcher, or also via iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, and as of earlier this evening, Mixler. So Mixler runs a live feed of the show, as does Blog Talk Radio. You can go to mixlr.com slash mytakeradio, and you can get some episodes there as well. I want to thank Dr. David Rice for stopping through, Slick for helping us out, and for all our listeners who listen to MTR every week and stop by the site. We do appreciate the support. All right, guys. I'll catch you guys next week. I, as of right now, I haven't finalized the guests. But who knows who may stop by? I'm out of here. Taking us out this week is going to be the Super Street Fighter 4. Actually, eh, maybe not. I think I'm going to go with the Prodigal Son. The Prodigal Son Returns from Castlevania by Mustin, and you can get that at ocremix.org off the Heroes and Villains official soundtrack. Peace.